Welcome back to a real world podcast today. We are having our fourth crossover between Ben and Matt's Marvelous Journey and the Superhero Pantheon hosted by Jerome Kisong and Brian DeBrain. I am Ben Phillips. I'm hosting this week. Are we doing this weekly? We're doing this weekly. The oh, crossover. Man. Um, normally, Jerome takes on the hosting duties, but we've decided that because I control the spreadsheets... <laughs> I am going to be hosting this episode. Like a big boy, I finally graduated to hosting one of these things. And I'm joined, as always, by my intrepid co-host, Matthew Waters. Matthew, Hello. how are you today? I'm good. We're sitting opposite each other. It's it's We're breaking new ground. We talked about When Harry Met Sally earlier today. That'll be on the site after this, I think. Yeah? Yeah, that went really well. And I'm still good. I'm enjoying your hospitality in London. Yeah. Although we are in London. So. We are in London. The, the big smokers, they call it. They do call it that. So I can only enjoy myself so much. But, and then you know. joining us from many hundreds of miles away through the magic of the internet, we have Jerome and Brian. Jerome and Brian, take, take turns saying hello. 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 Good morning. Well, good morning for me because we're time difference and all crazy how that works yeah mm-hmm. we're very late yeah. in the afternoon we're eating dinner <laughs> and I, brian maybe has not even had breakfast yet <laughs> no i just got a bottle of water and a nice bottle of green tea uh i just ate lunch so we've got three different meals going on lovely only one of which will be eaten on mic <laughs> <laughs> ben, what the hell are we doing here why did you gather us all together yes we are gathered here because last time we did a crossover we actually finally ranked all the movies in Marvel Phases 1, 2, and 3. The two previous crossovers were all done in the run-up to Infinity War and Endgame to rank part of Phase 3. Mm-hmm. But we took some time off. We didn't record one of these in 2021. We waited till the end of this year, and we are now ranking all of the Phase 4 projects that have happened so far. All 17 of them. <laughs> Last time we did a podcast, there were 23 Marvel Cinematic Universe projects in total. This time... There are 40. They discovered the TV button, and they pressed it real hard. (laughs) Boy, did they press it real hard. But guys, pun not intended, what if they didn't? (laughs) What if? Just no. (laughs) Well, I think that they kind of learned at the end of this run that 45-minute specials might have been the answer for some of these TV products. Yeah, I'm very, mu- I'm very much looking forward to seeing what what our thoughts are on the uh, on the two special presentations because I agree with Brian. I much preferred those in many ways compared to the TV projects, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. I know that. So I just want to say that Ben is the one that basically did all the work. He is the one that put the spreadsheets together. He put our list together, and without Ben, this could not have happened. So Ben, not only thank you for hosting, but thank you for organizing this. Sincerely, I know we make a lot of jokes, but sincerely, thank you for this. No, no worries. This is this is my pleasure. This is literally my favorite thing to do is to make incredibly elaborate spreadsheets. Matt has been given privy access to the spreadsheet and he's watched <laughs> me fiddling around with different ways in which we're we're kind of staggering these things. It's just really good to see an athlete at the top of the game, you know. <laughs> I feel this is what it would have been like to see go to the United Center in the 90s see Michael Jordan seeing Ben operate on Google Docs is incredible. So we are going to open with our movie ranking because obviously we have done the movie ranking now 3 years in 2018, 2019 and 20 20 we're going to go from 30 to the top we'll be stopping to kind of discuss any significant movies or moves and whatnot and then also breaking to have a few people one from each pantheon and marvelous journey to kind of have a few words about the 17 projects that have happened in the last two years so without further ado the list and finally the fourth time lucky after never being at the bottom the worst MCU project is finally being acknowledged. Incredible Hulk is in our 30th position. We just need to acknowledge this for a second because it has always been one or two from the bottom, but this time it's finally cemented its place 
as the weakest black black sheep of the family. Mm-hmm. They broke Harlem. They did break Harlem. And they broke uh, Tim Ross back, as we must always acknowledge. In 29th place, Thor the Dark World, down one spot from the previous time we've done it. Iron Man 2 at 28, up two spots. So obviously our opinions on that movie are changing steadily over time into the positive. And then our first new entry onto this list at 27, our least favourite movie project from Phase 4, Thor, Love and Thunder. So I believe I am throwing the opinions on that one over to Matt and Brian. So Brian, do you want to sh- tell us why Thor, Love and Thunder might be at the lowest ranked position for Phase 4 movies? Well, it's, you know, compared to 3, it's kind of like a drop-off. But for me, I enjoyed it because I loved the visuals in the Thor series anyway. And Taika kind of upped the visuals in the third one and he kind of maintained that in the fourth one. But again, it's like, do we need Christian Bale? Like, as as much as I loved him in the MCU and as, you know, that as good as that performance was and sometimes it was kind of cheesy, I admit, uh, it's like we didn't really need him. We didn't have to spend all that money just to get Christian Bale for a one-shot. So that kind of bothered me. The plot, of course, everyone kind of shits on because it's kind of like basic or whatever. And I get it and it was kind of like half-assed and too many storylines going on i guess but you know i kind of had it in mid kind of tier for me because if you when i was putting this list together i put it in the tier system first and then i started ranking them and there's this whole b level that has like at least over a dozen movies in the b level and this kind of you know isn't that level for me not necessarily the c or d level but i really enjoyed the visuals and you know i did laugh a lot but overall i felt like you know it's not like a a consequential you know point in the mcu timeline you kind of skip over it and not really you know miss much which kind of sucks because like the third one had a really lot of you know mcu major plot points in that movie this one doesn't really have that it's just kind of like a fun summer movie that what it what it was and i'll check it out every now and then but it's mainly for the visuals thank you very much and matthew yeah do you want to give the marvelous journey review of this movie <laughs> yeah so i mean i i think literally we've got the data i am the biggest fan of ragnarok in this group i adored that movie and for me like to run it back with the same people and to come out with this result is criminal. Every beat is repeated, every joke is re- like it's all done but worse. We go from like, are you the god of hammers and all, you know, because Ragnarok has this reputation as this very silly film, but there is some like genuinely touching, like philosophical musing stuff with the existentialism and everything. And like this movie opens with Thor not knowing his place in the in the universe which kind of picks up from you know the end of ragnarok and infinity war and endgame and by the end of it he still doesn't really know his place but he's got a daughter and we go from like are you the god of hammers or are you you know the god of thunder to like you know the whole thing with like the kids and like you know we're all in it together to whatever it was and you know you go from like oh my god your hammer pulled you off to like him having an extended like mjolnir is his girlfriend and like valkyrie is worse and loki's play is worse and yeah it's just a movie full of it's like an inferior version of ragnarok and then you throw in like it was a painfully covid movie we have some incredibly rough vfx that like even taika was making fun of in bad taste <laughs> like and christian bale christian bale's good he's just in a separate movie like it, he's got like four scenes and like it's cool when it all goes black and white and then somehow there's 30 more minutes in that movie and just <laughs> I didn't like it at all, and that's without me even getting to whatever was going on with Russell Crowe. Yeah, you had it at the bottom of your list. I, think. I fucking hate it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to be kind, but yeah, I hate it. Number 26, with no change whatsoever, if you include the new movies, Ant-Man and the Wasp, I think we're all quite low on that one, just being kind of a mid-range Marvel movie. No, not offensive, but definitely not like the worst of the worst. And then our second new entry, 
Black Widow, a movie which I I think is the worst of the Phase Four set. But I'm going to let Jerome speak first onto onto Black Widow. So it's very odd that Ben and I actually I think we disagree, and I'm much more positive on Black Widow than I think anybody else in the group, which is weird because my feelings on Phase Four are just kind of meh. And you know I definitely agree with Thor: The Dark World being where it is, but I don't know. I think I really is Black Widow an essential Marvel movie. It is not. Should it have happened in 2015? Yes, it should have. Did I like the third act? No. Did I like the opening scene? Did I like some of the action sequences in the middle and Scarlett Johansson's performance? I did. And I think that's why this movie was a little bit higher on the list for me. But I know the general consensus consensus on Black Widow has been very cool. And which I totally understand. Like it's it's I think phase four has a lot of issues. I think Black Widow has some of them, but not all of them. But I definitely enjoyed a lot of the first two thirds of this movie. But the fact that it's this low on the list is not a surprise to me. And and I understand why people would be frustrated with this movie. So Ben, I know that you have your opinions, but I am very curious to know because I feel like I put this pretty high on my list. How did it shake out for the four of us in terms of numbers? Black Widow was rated by myself in 29th out of 30, for Matt, 28th out of 30, for Brian, 27th out of 30, and you had it at 14th out of 30. Wow! One of these things is not like the other. That is that is wild to me. Well, that's that's the overall thing that you can see from, from this list, is that, like, we are polarised on every single one of these Phase 4 movies. I don't think there is a single one in which all four of us are aligned on like the quality of it. You look at the movies from Phase 1 through 3, there are a few that really stand out, and what one person's super positive, or one person's super negative. But Phase 4, there is, like, every single one of them has someone who is an outlier uh, to the rest of the group. I was going to say, so basically, I'm the reason that Black Widow didn't end up, like, 29th. Yes. Yeah. Pretty much. I'm sorry, guys. I'm so sorry. I just like the movie a little bit more, you know? Maybe if I go back and rewatch. I put Iron Man 3 above it, surprisingly. I didn't think I would do that, but I ranked it in terms of, like, am I going to watch this again? What do I want to watch? If I were to watch Iron Man 3 or Black Widow, Iron Man 3. Yeah, I think think Black Widow is everything wrong with a particular strain of the MCU at this point in time in that, like, all of this kind of, like, the ground-level spy stuff that feels like it's building up to something, but I don't know what it is, but they just cannot get out of their own way and make a proper spy movie. As has been well documented over the course of the year, I've been watching all the James Bond movies, and I'm just like, why was Black Widow not like Mission Impossible? Why was it not like the Daniel Craig Bond movies? Why did this have to have this embellishment of CGI? Why did you choose to set it in between Civil War and and Infinity War? Why was this not set during the blip? Why was this not set when Black Widow was younger? Just a series of baffling decisions, and then to like very obviously building IP in a way that feels false in that, like, let's build this supporting cast that Black Widow's always known and they're her dysfunctional family. I'm like, okay, Florence Pugh is one of the best gets you could possibly have in this, and I think her performance is saved by getting to be featured later on in Phase 4, but, like, I, I just don't, I didn't click with, with Vice, I didn't click with Harbour. I, I obviously think that the, the villain in the movie is is atrocious, 
It's just emblematic of the MCU being unable to get out of its way. Like, and it's something that they're getting increasingly metatextual and commenting on. Like, James Gunn commenting on the Holy Special is the first MCU project without a villain. I'm like, boy, that's bad that we're 40 in and, like, you have <laughs> the first time that you're doing something kind of, like, off-structure in this way. But, yeah, Black Widow, to me, is the worst of Phase 4. It didn't obviously quite hit Incredible Hulk level of bad, in my opinion, but, like, it, I, I had it 29th. I, I'm not, I don't think very highly of this one. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really interesting, just how this shook out. The fact that it's so much higher than the three of you is uh, is honestly making me rethink my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> the, the very first time I saw it, I thought more positively of it, and then, like, yeah, it kind of marinated in my brain, and I saw it again, and I was like, hmm, boy, this really isn't good, is it? I, I think when Ben and I podcasted about it, I was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> All you need to do is watch the beginning and that's so it. So it's weird because I feel like Thor Love and Thunder is kind of the same for me. I feel like if I had done this list in July, Thor Love and Thunder would have actually been significantly higher. But now the, the more I get away from that movie specifically, it's just like, yeah, I don't I don't really dig that movie. And yeah, maybe I need to rewatch Black Widow. Okay, let's continue with this. Number 24, Spider-Man Far From Home, a movie that has stayed in the same place. We're all quite low on that one. But number 23, Captain Marvel, the biggest drop on this entire list, dropping four places from the last time we did it. Obviously, we've all marinated on this since 2020 and it's just kind of dropped that few more spaces. I think probably having more diverse stars and more female-fronted projects has just kind of let the luster of a female-fronted Marvel project kind of like dip a little bit. Uh, number 22 is Thor, uh, again, staying flat relatively from when we did this in 2020. And at number 21, another new project, uh, we have Eternals. So, Brian, do you want to kick us off in, in talking Eternals and the relative successes or failures of that movie? Going in, I had, like, very little expectations. I thought this was, like, the Marvel project, that that was going to go, like, a failure, you know, be a failure, because I not a lot of people know who the Eternals are. You know, it's it's kind of like this, like, I don't know, inside baseball for Marvel kind of thing. It's like, if you're, if you're a smart mark, quote-unquote, you know what I mean? Like, you really are an Eternals fan, but if you're a casual Marvel fan, not a lot of people know that. And then introducing ten characters was a lot to ask for. So that, that kind of, like, threw me aback, and I was like, structurally, in the script, a ten-character ensemble is very difficult to pull off in a writing script, or writing a script that way. So I was just like, oh, man, I don't know how they're going to do this. But I did love the beginning, because... I am kind of like a history mark, so they kind of showed like the beginnings of civilization, like I believe that was Mesopotamia, the uh, Mayans and the Aztecs, or I think it was the Mayans actually, and uh, that whole thing, and I was kind of like marking out for the historical stuff, and then it gets it gets kind of boring in the middle, which I totally understand, like it's, I, I, I just couldn't believe that they kind of went with that, but you know, with the director, Chloe Zhao and everything, she likes to take her time, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that she did a lot of like, you know, actual cinematography, like no CGI on like the background and like the beach scenes and stuff like that thought it was cool we got a sex scene in the mcu for the first time but then overall it's just like it just kind of stretches out and then you know camille nanjani's character disappears at the end of the movie for some reason which we got no explanation for which is kind of odd and then the ending with the giant statue i thought it was really cool at first but then post this movie i thought they were gonna be like you know all the other marvel projects are gonna be talking about this giant statue coming out of the ocean no one's acknowledged it except maybe she hulk in like a background social media thing so i was kind of like okay so they're just not gonna acknowledge this giant figure coming out of the earth that can be seen from space so that was kind of like wow like the continuity department really didn't pick up on that for the end of a model project so i was just kind of like okay i had fun in the beginning i don't think it should have been a 10 character lead because a lot of those characters are forgettable and to me like this like a metric for me is when i go to the like the fye stores or like the stores that sell a lot of pops the ones that are on discount like months later 
it's a lot of Eternals pop. So that kind of tells you the marketing and like a lot of kids were probably not buying Eternal stuff. So that's not a good thing either. They try to make it for adults. So yeah, I, I kind of get where they were going with, but it just didn't work for me overall. But I love the beginning. I am not going to say that I love Eternals. I will say, though, that I will defend it till till the cows come home in terms of it being something that feels different in the MCU. Like, it's a project that felt it had more of an artistic vision than some of the other stuff. And it isn't effective. It is overstuffed. It is dour. It is slow. But it is also fundamentally doing things that are more interesting to me than... Black Widow and Thor Love and Thunder. Like, Chloe Zhao feels like she came in and actually managed to make a difference to how the movie kind of, like, is structured and and plays out and obviously brought her visual stylings with herself. Matt and I, when we did the podcast, we ran through all the Rotten Tomato scores of all the projects in Phase 4 so far. And Eternals was the only rotten one. And I'm like, why is this the rotten project when there have been... I'm not going to say objectively, but just far more flawed things that are trying to do less interesting things less successfully than this movie. And this to become the fulcrum point of so many people's ire with the MCU. And I do think part of it is because this is Marvel taking a acclaimed Oscar-winning director and churning her up inside the, the wheelhouse of what Marvel does and her getting to do the bare minimum of what she should be able to do as the director of Nomadland and the Rider. But I do think there is worth in this movie. I don't know when the Eternals will show up again. I don't know when Harry Styles is going to make his, like, actual debut. It's a big issue with all the Phase 4 is, like, the, the lack of knowledge of, like, where some of these plot threads are going. But I am glad that Marvel made this movie, even if I think it was a whiff, ultimately. I think it would be better as a show. Like, honestly, like, would you get 10 characters like that as, like, your main cast? Like, that'd be like making The Sopranos in a a movie for the first season. It's just like it – there's too many main characters. you got to make it into a show, I think. They did. It's called Analyze This. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, the thing is, is, like, with so many characters, I feel like you didn't have the time to get to know them enough. And then some characters you just forget. And then by the end of it all, you kind of just remember, like, some of the main ones. And then half of them died or whatever. So it sucks because, like – it really needed the time to develop the characters, I think. And it just didn't have that kind of... And then it was just too long because they tried to do that. So it was just kind of like, you should have just made this like four or five episodes. And this makes more sense as a show than some of the other Marvel shows that we got. Yeah, I, w- I would agree there. And possibly foreshadowing a question I'm going to ask everyone later. <laughs> Number 20, we have Ant-Man up two spots. So whilst Ant-Man and the Wasp stayed in place, Ant-Man we've kind of improved on over the last couple of years. Avengers Age of Ultron and number 19 up one spot. And number 18, Doctor Strange, also up one spot. And number 17, we have, as we're approaching the middle of the list, we have Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. So I am going to throw on this one to Jerome. So again, this is a movie that I feel like I am much more of a fan of than everybody in this on this list. And uh, I think, Ben, for me, the, the big question is, do you think that this ended up 17 because we all got lost in Tony Lung's eyes? Is that true? <laughs> so we've all got this place to kind of like 17, 19. You're, you have it in the top 10 for the MCU projects. We're all kind of like about where it ended up on the list. Matt is obviously well known for being a little bit less uh, lower down. Uh, but I will say that like this for me is like, I've got a group of like three movies I think were the best of phase four and Tony Lung is definitely a reason why this movie is in that kind of like top tier for phase four. 
I think it has two of the better action sequences as well. Uh, specifically, the one on the bus, I think, is perhaps one of the more memorable ones. I do like the performances across the board. I think this movie, in a lot of ways, even though I think it runs into the same third act problems that Marvel is known for, I think this is the movie that feels the least busy in terms of plot and in terms of what they're trying to do. And it kind of felt like a return to phase one in a good way, because yes, this was an origin story, but I feel like we actually got to know the characters a little bit more. And then there was some integration kind of in the mid credits scene, but it just felt like this movie was allowed to just to build itself more than like the Eternals or Thor. Like uh, so many of these projects have just, it's been all over the place. This felt like the most focused. And I think that's why I like this movie a lot actually. And this is one of those movies that I was kind of cool on when I first saw it. But I think this is one of the few where I've actually liked it more and more. And this is probably one of the few phase four projects that I will go back and rewatch. Yeah, no, I think this is, kind of what I hope the origin movies become, even when you get down into the the kind of expanded universe Mishigos that kind of takes place in some of these movies. Like, it's just Trevor Slattery, who does aids to outstay his welcome in the movie, but, like, it's fun when he pops up for his, like, early scene. But that is, again, as you said, like, the outside of the post-credits scene is the only bit of wider Marvel context that kind of, like, bleeds into this movie. It isn't like the stuff that's happening in Black Widow with with Thunderbolt Ross and and all the references to Civil War. Obviously Thor Love and Thunder is too disconnected from the rest of the MCU that it almost feels too flippant. But like this one feels like it's it's the right mix of like we get the feeling for this wider universe, but like it's definitely not the focal point and doesn't detract from a lot of the rest of the movie. And yeah, I'm 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 very positive on Shang-Chi. It's in my like the the three that I really liked from Phase Four, as I've said, but two of those have yet to be mentioned. It sounds really fucking stupid and simple, but I really like the bits I like and I really don't like the bits I don't like and I'm just punishing it for not ruining something that could have been incredible. But like, yeah, I, I, I think I've got less patience with the third act problem than I had before. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, no, no change whatsoever. We've got Gardens of Volume. Yeah. At number 16, with no change whatsoever, we have Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Again, a movie that I think we were all fairly static on. It'll be interesting to see what we think of that one after Volume 3 kind of like concludes the trilogy, mm. uh, whether or not that cements a place in our mind. But a movie at the exact midway point is another new entry, and I'm going to throw to Matt to talk about this one, is Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Matthew, mm. why is this our exact midpoint movie? which feels high considering this is the movie I feel that has got the most ire in in the social media communities. Because I fucking love it. (laughs) I put it in the top 10. I think I assume I'm dragging it up um, a little bit. I think it's such an improvement on Doctor Strange 1, which like is... Doctor Strange 1 is like the most like... We fed an AI a thousand Marvel scripts and this is what it's, it's about kind of thing. Like it is Marvel on autopilot... I don't really want to see a guy clumsily learn magic. I want to see a guy be like really fucking good at it. And Doctor Strange 2 opens with him really fucking good at magic. And it's just silly and wacky. And like, here are all these alternate Doctor Strangers. And for me, the, like, the, the crux of it is casting Wanda as the villain. As soon as there's that turn where she's like, you didn't tell me her name, did you? And he's like, nope. 
And I was like, oh, of course she's the villain. They've been really tight-lipped about who the villain is. And there was like no footage of the two of these, <laughs> these two standing together. And I thought she gave an incredible performance as this movie monster kind of thing. And Ben and I are huge fucking fans of Jonathan Hickman's Avengers that does all this time runs out and incursions and the Illuminati and all of this. And this what they gave us is not that, but like it's still kind of cool. And like seeing Xavier come out and have the X-Men the Animated Series uh, chimes playing. And I know some people are like really against John Krasinski as Reed Richards. I think it's a good casting. It's very clear he's not in the same movie as the rest of them. And they probably, I think, isn't the rumor that they got original, is it Ian Griffin? Is this, no. Uh, there's there, loads of rumors that what happened in that scene. Obviously, like Daniel Craig has concept art floating around for him as, um, as Boulder. Yeah, mm-hmm. just all kinds of stuff floating around in terms of, I think they were just spitballing, like who can we get, who wants yeah. to come in, who wants to play a character. I, I feel I heard that like they got the guy that was in uh, yeah yeah they they got um Fox era I guess original Fox era not fan fortastic uh <laughs> Reed Richards to come back and then very late they replaced him Krasinski but no yeah I I I thought it was really well done and like it pays off I think it's a third act battle against a villain that isn't about like shoot more colored lasers at them like they talk Wanda down and she finally sees the error of her ways and yeah and, it, and it finally it made me fucking buy the romance with Christine well, we could, I don't know if I even want to talk about what if later when we get to it but like yeah you know Rachel McAdams is in like barely any of Doctor Strange one it feels like and then like I thought this one did a much better job of making me buy that relationship but yeah yeah it's a movie that I think we both like, and I think we're both on the opposite end of the opinion on what happened with Wanda. But obviously, I'm not the one who's talking about this movie now. We're throwing instead to Jerome, who had this movie in 16th place, so was the lowest ranked person from the from either podcast for this. So Jerome, what do you think of Multiverse of Madness? Why is it just below the midway point for you? So I, I still think I like this movie. I think this was probably my favorite 2022 MCU movie, just in terms of thinking about Doctor Strange, Black Panther, and Thor, Love and thunder so of, of those three this is definitely my favorite i think the reason that this movie works is because of sam raimi i think the fact that he was able to kind of infuse this movie with his sense of direction i think that's why this movie works and i think the writing on the mcu projects has kind of been a disaster i don't think this is much different i still think there are a lot of script problems i have conflicting feelings on wanda because on the one hand i think elizabeth holt Elizabeth Olsen's performance is really good, but it just feels like we're missing a lot of connective tissue between WandaVision and this in terms of why she is the villain. So I think, again, this is this is a mixed bag, but I think there's some really, really good visuals. And uh, I think there are a lot of stupid people on social media who just don't understand what real directing looks like. And this is what, ki- this is what, and that's not to say that the MCU doesn't have real directing. Obviously there's a lot of people that are working really hard and there's a lot of VFX artists who are not getting their just due. But for me, this is a movie that is very clearly has the most director's vision. And because I'm sure Kevin, because Kevin Feige worked, I think is either some sort of an assistant or something on Spider-Man. I'm sure that's why Sam Raimi got a lot more leeway than some of the other directors. And I think it shows. I think this movie uh, has a lot of really fun elements. And of course, there's going to be a dead person who's kind of alive and kind of falling into some of Sam Raimi's tropes. Bruce Campbell is absolutely hilarious in his cameo. Uh, So I have two notes. Uh, I think Matt covered a lot of my feelings. Even though this is the lowest ranked, I still think this is a very fun movie. But there's two things I want to say. Number one, the best Marvel performance of the year is Bruce Campbell in the Doctor Strange documentary that's on Disney+. 
And number two, I want to know Michael Stubar's agent. I want to know what he did because the fact that he was listed in the top of the credits and was in one scene, major props to that agent for doing that. So good on him and good on Bruce Campbell. Yeah, he knows where the bodies are buried and they're going to bring them back to life. I'm mad at myself for forgetting like what you just said that like, I fucking loved watching teenagers melt down at Raimi doing like fucking crossfades and, and stuff. And I was like, no, this is what directing is. I don't think you've seen it for a while. No, you're right. Stolberg has always just managed to, like he's in this movie for what, 30 seconds? He's not in it that much. I think he's got the same credit building in this movie that he does in Bones and All. Another movie which he's in one scene in, but it's still funny that like, <laughs> that's obviously a return to the Call Me By Your Name director and stuff like that. Whereas this yeah. is like, remember Michael Stolberg was in Doctor Strange as like <laughs> the other Doctor? <laughs> also, I, I think this is probably the best third act of any of the Phase 4 projects. Do we think that's true? I know the bar is kind I of like low. It a lot. I like it a lot. I mean, it's not like the big blue beam of the sky that you hate, but, I mean, Matt was right. I mean, they had to talk her down, so it makes sense to me. I think I know what might pip some people for their favorite third act, because we have yet to talk about the biggest movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I know, <laughs> I know, I know what you're going to say, yeah. But, yeah, so that is number 15. Number 14, an historic moment. I think we all need to just take a moment for this. <laughs> the most divisive movie that we have ever discussed in these rankings is always this film. The first year we did it, it placed at number 10 out of 18. Then it placed 11. Then it placed 12. This time, it might seem like it's fallen two spots, but this actually puts it for the first time in the top 50% of all MCU projects. I am, of course, talking about a movie in the superhero pantheon, (laughs) Iron Man 3, the undisputed masterpiece. Of Marvel. So I, we're not going to talk about this very long, but just say where everybody ranked it. I'm just curious. So Brian has betrayed me and actually ranked this movie four spots lower this time than he had in previous years at 26th. Jerome has gone up two spots to 24th. Matt is flat at 10th. Me, I'm up two spots. <laughs> Iron Man 3 is my third favorite MCU movie. I can't go with you all the way on this journey anymore, I'm afraid. <laughs> I wish you well up the mountain, but I stop at, like, you know. I, I don't think I can get higher than third. I, no. I don't. I think that is, like, the top two MCU movies are so locked in stone for me. But, yeah, Iron Man 3 is my number three. And finally, even if it is only for one year, and Jerome and Brian go away to, like, figure out how to stop this travesty from happening. I did get one year where Iron Man 3 is in the top 50% of MCU movies. It's a Christmas movie that it sounds like you watch it every year as a Christmas movie. Oh, for, yeah. for me, for me, I've got like my little, like my little trilogy of movies that are like, if you like Iron Man 3, Last Jedi, and newly added to the list, Matrix Resurrections, we probably have closer taste than you would care to admit kind of thing because they're both all three movies i think are like polarizing polarizing but a little bit challenging in ways that like i just really appreciate and can like sink into so ben all i'm gonna say i I have two responses to that number one you and i i think are simpatico on the last jedi so i think we've got that going for us i uh so in the month of february brian and i will be watching and reviewing the matrix resurrections as part of our underrated sequel nice the first coverage on the site in audio form (laughs) Because Mike and I drag our feet on recording stuff. Despite the fact that, like, 
I think me, you, and Mike are all very positive on it. Super that. high on it, yeah. But uh, I'm very much looking forward to it because it is probably my favorite Matrix movie. Wow. Ooh. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. man. We're going to have quite the discussion, man. Oh, yeah, it's going to be It's going to be a good discussion. It's going to be a good discussion. I mean, I, I, think I can't go that far. Yeah. It's number two. Like, Jeez, bro. <laughs> Matrix 1 is like the best movie ever, maybe. So let's carry on with the list. Number 13, our penultimate new entry on the list there are two movies left the next movie at number 12 is also a new entry so what do we want to bet what has come in 13th is it black panther wakanda forever or is it spider-man no way home i will just go around the room and just kind of get people's feelings matthew well i know you know but you take a guess what you would say okay i think it might be (laughs) spider-man jerome I have Black Panther ranked pretty low, so I'm going to say Black Panther. And Brian? I say Black Panther because it's kind of like, yeah, lower on the top 10 for me. It is indeed Black Panther. Black Panther is at 13. Spider-Man No Way Home is at 12. So let's do the Black Panther talk first, because obviously this is a movie that's come out the most recently. It is the most polarized movie that we have, um, I believe, from Phase 4. I'll just run through the rankings for everyone. So we have Jerome had it at 21st out of 30. A movie, I think, just a sign of how disappointed you were in this in comparison to to the first film. I have it at 13th. So like in the top half, but like definitely not kind of like super, super like in the 10 as I kind of like was hoping it might make it. Brian has it 9th and Matt has it 8th. Jerome, do you want to go first and just kind of like... Wow, your... uh, it's, it's really surprising to me just how diverse the, the opinions are, and I think that's pretty representative of this movie overall. Look, I don't hate it as much as Mike Thomas, so I, I will say that. There are many aspects of Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, that I appreciate. I think it handled the Chadwick Boseman stuff very sensitively and very well, quite honestly. I think there are some good performances. I just never felt like the movie ever came together for me, and that's kind of where I've settled in my opinion, and I definitely want to rewatch this movie. I'll say this. I think it's really hard to have a conversation about about a movie that has only come out, you know, a couple weeks ago. And there's so much emotion attached to it. I would really like to revisit this movie in a couple of years with just kind of separating away from the phase four of it all and the Chadwick Boseman and all that stuff. I really want to revisit this movie in a couple of years because I think I might come out more positively in two or three years. And I'm not copying out from my opinion because I still believe that as we sit here, I think this is like in the twenties in terms of like the best Marvel movies, because again, I think just for me, this things just never really came together. Like there's some really, really good pieces in this movie. There's some good action set pieces. I just don't think this ever came together. And the other thing is that, you know, this is a, this is a hard movie, man. Like, I can't even imagine what Ryan Coogler had to go through just to get all this together between the COVID, Chadwick Boseman's passing, whatever's going on with Letitia Wright, everything that went on. He had a lot of things against him. And, like, despite my criticisms of the movie, I would say Ryan Coogler des- deserves a hell of a lot of credit regardless because just the fact that he was able to get this movie in theaters is kind of a miracle. And maybe every movie is a miracle, but it feels like this one in particular. So even though this movie's 21st, I still have a lot of respect for elements of it. And I don't really want to get overly negative because, again, this is a movie that had so much going against it. Matt's been burning to speak this entire time, so I'm going to throw it to Matt. Uh, I, I, <laughs> nobody has a stronger capacity for hate than Mike Thomas, so don't feel bad about that. <laughs> um it's a messy movie. I think it's a beautiful mess. I think it's an ambitious mess. And I'm more willing to reward that ambition over punishing the parts of it that don't work as much. Like, the white people didn't need to be in the fucking movie. Like, we don't need to see fucking... It's 
it's the most baffling thing is that Ryan Coogler got to make this beautiful movie that is so fully divorced from like the rest of the MCU. And then when you make a sequel, it feels like there is a very concerted effort to include setup for Thunderbolts and Secret Invasion and like where Freeman's going to show up next. And it's just like, why is there an Ironheart prequel in this movie? Why is Martin Freeman in this as much as he is? Like, I'm not saying that like they're bad. I'm just saying it's weird that this movie ends up being two hours and 40 minutes long when it could have been like a tight two hours or even given that 40 minutes over to Letitia Wright or to any of the other actors they've got back from the first movie who have like emotional weighty storylines. But again, as you said, it's a, it's an ambitious mess and I appreciate the mess for trying to do things in spite of the obvious limitations of the MCU. Why is Ironheart going on the same journey as Spider-Man with the suit is another question that I would have. And I don't know about you guys, but when I saw Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who I think it's a miscast at this point, I audibly groaned when she was on screen. So that does not help my opinion of this movie. So, Matt, I'm sorry I interrupted. Go ahead. No, because I don't even think it sets up fucking Thunderbolts. Ross gets arrested and then broken out, and like we've revealed that him and Val used to be married and she's in charge of the CIA. Like, my theory is they want people to know all of that stuff, and they know this is maximum eyeballs to tell you that. But I just think every time we cut away from these two warring nations to fucking martin freeman bumbling around in america i'm like why what is this adding but yeah like even with that and even with i don't know if it's by design or there is a limitation but i think obviously these scenes i guess the scene or the the two scenes of shiri as the new black panther like the black panther action is not as hot as as it's been in the past but I fucking love Namor. I, I love the way they did Talokan with with ancient native South American, however you want to phrase it, like the Mayan stand-in type thing. You know, they have their own world. They have their own sun. Like, I love Namor as a character. I love him as like a chaotic neutral type guy where like, you know, they did the introducing and they made sure he lived at the end. And I think Marvel in general is is best suited when... Namor is out there, like, ready to <laughs> switch sides at the beat of a hat. And as you said, I think they handled the stuff with Chadwick, like, just so much better than I could have imagined. Like, it, it was genuinely like, oh, we're doing this, like, straight away. Like, oh, I'm going to cry now. Okay, cool. Yeah, it gets a bit twisty-turny, but, yeah, I love Namor. I love some of what they were going for. Uh, Brian, you're the only one who hasn't spoken yet on the movie, so what's what's your feelings? I think you, you had it second highest on, the, on our list. Yeah, I really love Ryan Coogler's direction in this movie. Like, I wasn't, like big on Ryan Coogler when he first debuted with Fruitville Station, but then when I watched Creed, I was like, I had no emotional connection to Rocky Balboa or, or the franchise post-Rocky Six, and then I watched Creed, I'm like, why am I crying right now? Is it because they're referencing back to Rocky Four? Is it the nostalgia? What is this? But then I realized, like, even in even in the first Black Panther, like, Ryan Coogler directs drama really, really well, and I think he directs the drama, like, like, in terms of, like, the drama in the MCU, like, he's got, he's top to list with in terms of, like, the scenes and stuff like that, where it's just, you know, characters talking, no action, just, like, the drama and the relationship between the characters. He nails that so well, and, like, you take a movie like this where there's so many crazy things going on visually and the technology and the underwater stuff, but he's still able to maintain, like, this dramatic tone throughout the movie that I feel like really hooked me and i was just so emotionally like attached to it all and not just because of the chadwick stuff but the, the story and the journey and like the time like when you see shuri and 
Namor in uh, in the underwater kingdom or whatever, and they're just talking and they're having this really dramatic conversation. I was like, okay, this is like some really they really slowed it down here. They really want you to get to know this guy and the relationship between these two. So I think Ryan Coogler does a great job in terms of just directing characters and you know the drama of it all. And is it a little messy? Yes. Is there's too much in here? Yes. But I don't know. It just feels like they were you know with the Riri stuff. Like I don't know. It just. It was shoehorned in, but I don't know if there's like a long game ploy or a play here, because usually that's what it is. Maybe, I don't know if this would have worked better for just for her to have a 45 minute special or something. But I mean, her presence in the movie didn't deteriorate. Like it didn't, you know, ruin it for me. Like it, it kind of added to it a little bit because like she had some good stuff and like the stuff with the suit was pretty cool. And I like the fact that she's just a smart girl. There's no like, you know, like hook to it. She doesn't have magical power. She's just like really, really smart. And that's kind of like what Tony Stark was like. He was just a really smart dude. And, you know, sometimes you don't need to have like special powers just to be smart. So I really appreciated that. And I, I get it. We're doing the whole suit again. But that's kind of like her character is like she kind of idolized Iron Man. So you got to have that connection to there. Plus, you know, it kind of has that connection to the original Iron Man movie in 2008 to kind of hold that continuity together. So for me, that worked a lot. They just probably should emphasize it more if she appears in later movies that like, what's this connection to Tony Stark? Like, why does she idolize Tony Stark? There's a lot of questions that come out of it, but I'm glad they introduced the character. I just kind of wish that she stayed in Wakanda because that kind of made more sense to me. But. I guess she has to go back to college doing God knows what and doing secret government jobs and shit like that. But I thought that was pretty funny, too, that they have that the government has to rely on this, I don't know, 20 year old uh, young female secretly to do their like bidding for like the vibranium and stuff. I thought that was pretty on point for the United States government to do shit like that. But, you know, the criticism with Julie Louis-Dreyfus is like for me, like if you're a casual viewer. And you kind of go into this only seeing like the first Black Panther. You're not going to really like it's not going to bother you that much because you just think it's like, oh, that's his ex. And, you know, they just brought that back uh, Martin Freeman from the first one. So in a casual perspective, it just kind of makes sense that you bring him back and then you just have his ex-wife there. But to the casual audience there, there's just no background on the Thunderbolts or anything like that. So if you're just watching it like that, it's not going to really bother you that much. But if you're in the MCU and you're like, oh, I didn't like the casting or whatever, then it is going to bother you. But again, uh, I would say at least 40 percent of this audience that goes to Black Panther 2 is not the casual. It's not the usual MCU audience, like a casual audience. So for me, you got to have to balance those perspectives as well. And I think Ryan Coogler did a great job of that. I, I think my issue with Riri isn't that I feel like she detracts from the movie. It's more just the fact that like when I heard the Riri was in this movie, I was like, oh. She's obviously in the school that they funded at the end of Black Panther 1. That's where she makes the most sense in being positioned. Mm-hmm. And she's going to have a lot of stuff to do in this. And she's going to be like chosen to be like an, a next generation kind of thing. And then the movie kind of goes like, nope, she went to a different school. She's a MacGuffin. We will design the suit mostly off screen. We will then confiscate the suit off of her so that she can redesign the suit for her Disney Plus TV show that they're filming. And it's just like... I understand introducing a character, but I think as we will discuss in the TV shows, yes, it's been a mixed bag in terms of introducing new characters, but I think all of them have been able to stand on their own and do Origins decently enough. Doing this in Black Panther kind of felt like it's eating into Black Panther time when you've already committed a a six-episode series to to dealing with this character. And maybe it is a reference to kind of like Black Panther debuting, uh, debuting in Civil War, but like... It just felt like a lot of the stuff is in this as like brand synergy, setting up future projects rather than focusing on what is at the core of this movie, a really interesting, really well-developed, maybe not as like enticing as the the conceit in, with Killmonger and Black Panther, but still like the idea of 
other cultures being affected by what Wakanda's decisions were at the end of the first movie is is inherently an interesting thing that Kugler is putting out into the world. Yeah, it's like bending their own arguments back on them kind of thing. Yes. Where they're very like, hey, you know, don't fuck with us. And then it's like, you have fucked with, without knowing it, I'm going to say Atlantis, you know, like yeah. Telecon. And I really love that like Namor was like just as ruthless as it seems previous kings of Wakanda had been like, like there's all the stuff about T'Chaka would have done this, T'Chaka would have done that. And T'Chaka was like quite a brutal guy. And it's kind of like, you know, obviously you're rooting against Namor because you've been trained to love Black Panther and, and Wakanda and all that. And rightfully, but like objectively dude is not like a thousand percent wrong. Yes. He wants to kill a child. That's fucked up. But like, his beef is legitimate and he is behaving exactly as Wakanda have in the past. And it was just kind of like, I liked that element of like their past coming back on them a little bit. Yeah. So I know that we're going to probably rip through this top 10 pretty easily. So I don't mind spending a, a more time on this. I just want to say that I think for me, it feels like this movie at times could decide which character it wanted the movie to be about because I mean, it really sets up to be Angela Bissett's movie in the first part. And if she gets an Academy Award out of this, then that will make me extremely happy because I think she is fantastic. She's never won an Academy Award and that's criminal. So if she gets it for this, I'm certainly not going to argue. Peter Nwango doesn't even show up until like an hour into this movie. And it's just, I think that speaks to the, just the, uh, the kind of chaotic nature uh, of this movie. And I think in a lot of ways, it, it feels like Marvel has taken the wrong lessons away from Avengers Endgame. I feel like Avengers Endgame did a really good job of like subtly setting up future projects and it just feels like now everything is done with the sledgehammer and it's like we are setting up Thunderbolts we are setting up such and such we are setting up Secret Invasion and it just feels like every single movie is trying to do this and we're going to probably return to this conversation when we talk about the TV shows as well. Yes we absolutely will but first we have to focus on Matt and Brian's opinions on number 12 Spider-Man no way home we'll go for brian to get some positivity first and then i think matt's going to be giving um kind of more my opinion on this movie but brian just to say up front brian had no way home at number four on his list which is decidedly not where matthew or i had this movie just to kind of reinforce the the discrepancy in opinions in this thing but obviously this movie played by gangbusters it made a stupid amount of money it is the only the movie that made it feel like the theatrical experience was not dead during covid um it was probably the cause of many 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 people getting omicron last year the return of andrew garfield and and toby Maguire. brian please your thoughts well, I know Jerome is not really high in nostalgia nowadays, but man, I was, it's one of those moments I'll never forget being in a theater with like my group of friends, like the five of us getting in the theater packed, everyone being on the same wavelength and just like freaking out at all the little moments and all the big moments. Like I'll never forget that experience. And I don't know if that's going to, that's why it's probably on my list, but emotionally I have a big attachment to this movie. Cause like leading up to it, we were, everyone was probably like binging the old movies and stuff. I was rewatching the Spider-Man one and two. And I was just like, man, Toby is pretty much like our modern day, Superman, you know what I mean? Like for for seventy eight, Christopher Reeves, like he's our modern day version of that. And when he came out, I could not believe the audience reaction. I heard people like going, "Oh my god!" and freaking out, and like people next to me were crying. And I was like, "God, this is like an emotional moment, man." So I get it. Is it is it a great story, or is it like a great script? No. Is it messy? Yes. Is it a lot of plot holes? Yes. Like my god, I had so much fun with this movie, more so than like most of the MCU movies, obviously. And to me, that's what kind of, like, counts the most, like, that feeling and experience. Like, overall, as I've gotten older, like, I'm less 
more so like on the critical stuff in terms of like you know writing and directing and stuff but it's a lot of it is like emotional connection and this really just had me just so connected to this movie i even have like a redemption um feelings for uh andrew garfield i was not a fan of him at all but when that moment when he saved mary jane and everyone in the audience was like, oh, my God, he saved her. And then he starts crying, and then she goes, are you okay? Like, the whole audience was like, oh, like a big, like, oh. And then I yelled out in the theater, like, I forgive you, Andrew. So, you know, I had a great time. The audience had a great time. I watched it again on, you know, when it came out on, on Blu-ray, and I was just kind of, like, crying at the end of it. I mean, Toby is my Christopher Reeves, man. I'm not going <laughs> to – there's no bones about it. Like, he is – me and like several of my friends and you know probably probably this generation's christopher reeves man and just you know yes does it make sense did everyone know that peter parker was spider-man no of course not they just added that for the for the plot but you know the way it was put together man oh my god i'm more so like for forgivable on a lot of the plot details and stuff but just the fact that they tied it all in they gave us the matt murdoch thing which was great yeah, just a lot of great stuff, and I finally got to have uh, the big face turn that I've always wanted since the end of uh, Spider-Man 2, where Dr. Octopus does the face turn at the end, but he's still known as the villain. Here he becomes the hero again, and he has that big moment reuniting with Toby. Oh my god, like, that was the that was probably the biggest moment for me, is when they reunited and they smiled at each other, because deep down, to me, Doc Ock is truly, like, a baby face at the end of that movie. So, yeah, that's what I wanted, and they gave it to me. I'm with you on a lot of that actually spider-man 1 and 2 in particular like huge fucking deal for like i i remember being of of the age when they came out and like everyone's going on dates to see spider-man and it's like i mean that feels normal now people go see marvel movies with girls but back in the day it's like you wouldn't take a date to see a superhero movie are you fucking kidding me and yeah it, like it is really nice to see them all back and like i did cry watching that movie i cried when um our mate died i cried at the end when like he was having to like let go of michelle jones brian come on but like there is just such a messiness to it and like i know it feels hypocritical for me to like reward the ambitious mess of wakanda forever and then like punish the mess of uh no way home but like it's such a painfully pandemic movie there are people who are not within 500 feet of each other like i don't think toby Maguire and willem dafoe have a scene together like they're trying to tell you they are like it's the back of someone's head kind of thing but i don't think they speak to each other and like yeah it's cool when he and doc ock have a moment but like the Willem Dafoe thing feels like a big deal as well. And like, I have always been on Team Andrew Garfield. And yeah, it was really nice when he got to have the do-over and save MJ instead of Gwen. But just, yeah, like so many like scenes where it's like very clear that like we do not have all of these people in the same room. And like very clearly here are three separate movies mushed together. Like I think if they had set out from day one and had no limitations to do something like this, it would be incredibly special. It would be like into the Spider-Verse levels of special. If you were like, you have access to Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield for like 20 days of filming or something like that. And you wrote the whole thing with that in mind and you have all the villains and all that. I think it could have been truly special. It's very clear they had these guys for like a day. Some of the villains they had for longer. Some of them are just CGI people and reused footage of them (laughs) that was lying around. It's just really messy. And like, you know, you spend your first act just sort of like trying to wrap up the whole thing of everyone knows who he is. And then you get some stuff with Doctor Strange and some villains. And then they're like, and now we'll do a Spider-Man team up. And it's like, 
all of those scenes are great. Like I love seeing them all bounce off each other. I just wish there were just so many more of them. And like, it's not giving me quite enough of what I need. And I'm a, I'm a huge, huge Spider-Man fan, obviously. Like I've got Homecoming, I think, higher than anyone. So it's not like I'm a hater of this iteration of Spider-Man. It is cool to see him end the movie like fucking dirt poor, nobody in the classic blue and red and swinging off. And I, I don't know what will happen going forward. Like they have backed up the money truck for Tom Holland and he's no longer saying he wants to quit acting, but we'll see what happens there. Yeah. I think, I think I said to you when we recorded our episode earlier on this year that I rewatched this at home and I felt the pauses for applause breaks (laughs) and it felt weirdly kind of like, inauthentic like in a cinema it works at home i was just like oh i can feel you've let the dialogue lull because you want everyone to be like losing their fucking mind that you've got these two actors back and it made me feel cynical but not it's a good movie but definitely not to the level of like homecoming i feel yeah i definitely if we do this next year i definitely need to rewatch this because this is a movie that probably would have been in my top 10 if we had done this in December of last year, but I put it at 11 and I just didn't feel comfortable, like moving it up or down anymore because I really haven't had a chance to rewatch it since. And this is definitely one like Wakanda forever that I need to watch kind of separated from all the hype, because I think it will probably end up going down a little bit. I still think I'm more positive than Matt, but yeah, let's rip through the rest of the top 10. Yeah. So I will highlight any changes that we're doing, but yeah, the only thing I will say at this point is that we do have a, a different number one to last year so for the fourth year in a row we have changed number ones it's always <laughs> always exciting with this list number 11 captain america the first avenger number 10 spider-man homecoming down one spot and number nine iron man up one spot number eight Thor ragnarok with no change number seven captain america winter soldier number six the guardians of the galaxy number five oh my how the mighty have fallen down one spot, Captain America Civil War. The first inaugural number one that we had on this list has fallen to f- number five. And number four, Matthew's favourite Avengers movie, I believe. Uh, no, sorry, his number two favourite Avengers movie because he does have Avengers 1 ahead of it. Infinity War is our number four. I also believe Brian flipped opinions or allegiances this time and had Infinity War ahead of Endgame after our discussion last time. I'll get you all one at a time. <laughs> and number three, Avengers Endgame. And at number two... Down one spot, Marvel's Avengers, allowing the king himself to reclaim the number one spot. Black Panther is back as our number one MCU movie after being dethroned in 2020. Matt did ask if what we'd have to do if we did want Avengers up at number one. And I was like, Brian has ranked Avengers at number five after previously having it at number two for the previous three rankings. Oh, Brian, the heel turn. So we would have had, if it had been... Emotional connections. It would have been second for two of us and first for two of us on both Avengers and Black Panther if Brian had not changed Avengers to fifth place. And it would have been a tie. And then Avengers is alphabetically first. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I did a lot of reflecting. Let's just say that. I did a lot of reflecting. And, like, again, I think it's just the older I get, the more I kind of weigh emotional attachment heavier now yeah endgame and infinity war just even looking back at clips online and seeing like the audience reactions years later it's still like yeah just tremendous stuff and i I get really like i want to see more of those movies more so than the bottom ones like you know what i mean if i had a choice those would be my top ones to watch first that's kind of how i rank it now i almost think we undervalue like here's the thing joss whedon is a piece of shit so i think that 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 may be weighing on some people's minds and that's why there were not a lot of like 10 years after the avengers came out because this is the 10 year anniversary i still think that movie is kind of a miracle and i think with phase four and even some of the dc eu movies 
I don't think we fully appreciate just how good the Avengers is. I mean, I do because I have it number two on my list, but Brian having it at number five. Come on, man. Come on. I mean, I think Black Panther should be number one. It was number one on my list. So as far as I'm concerned, we got this correct. I, I'm not unhappy that Black Panther was number one. Again, Matt and I both had it at number two. Matt's finally being being pilled into having Black Panther as number two. It was just like, again, it would have been fun to have a tie and have our two most consistent number ones be yeah. uh, be those two. Because I do, I do think that the Avengers is still a, a shining example of how to do this, even if Technically, Infinity War and Endgame are juggling more. I just think Avengers is... It's having to shoulder so much weight. And if it didn't work, then we don't get any of the movies that we like after after that. But that's the movies. Fairly static list. A couple of ups and downs. But like it, it, we had like all the Phase 4 stuff kind of clumped into two spots of like, here's the four that we like, and here's the kind of the two that we don't like. And then Eternals in the middle, which I feel feels correct for that movie. But I think this is where we're going to get the most juice. <laughs> uh, we are, of course, now talking about Marvel's foray into television. Something I would say has been a mixed bag, to put it like mildly. But yeah, so we are doing all ten of the TV series and specials. I feel like Jerome wants to say something before we head into the list. All I can say is, for me, I, I struggled with this list far more than the movie list. And maybe that's just because I kind of have the movies ranked already, and I kind of have a general idea where everything is going. I gotta be honest, though, man. Like, these TV shows, like... I have very, very mixed opinions. And for me, my number one is so... There is, like a, a, like, a Titanic ship's worth of difference between, like, number one and number two. And I don't I don't even feel particularly good about my number two. I just didn't really feel comfortable ranking any of the other things as my number two. But, yeah, this TV list was rough. And I feel like that exemplifies this really well because I don't think the TV shows have been all that great. No, I think that is completely fair. And we're going to kick off with a rant from me because number 10 is the show that bo- was bottom on three of our lists uh, and ninth <laughs> on another one. We are, of course, talking about Marvel's initial foray into animated programming. We have What If. I Guys, th- we did it. I'm so <laughs> proud of us. <laughs> I think the, the most abject failure of the entire MCU is that a project that should have been a slam dunk is just so boring and so uninterested in kind of engaging with what it could do just throwing ideas at a wall like the what if concepts are not even questions i can imagine anyone ever asking anyone in their right frame of mind it's like what if thor was a party animal he is Nothing is different. Like and like him and Loki are still friends and everything's still fine. Sorry. Yeah, it's just like watching these nine episodes was just an exercise in like it's distracting to not have all the voice actors voice their correct characters. The animation looks good when like it's doing cool like set piecey stuff, but like the actual speaking and character acting is really kind of distractingly bad. And I can't believe you set up the studio to kind of do this. Like, why is this not 2D animated? Why is this not being thrown to like Disney, who are well known for doing animated projects? It has literally built the House of Mouse, and you have this thing that looks really kind of bad at points. Even down to like the episode that everyone was fucking fawning all over with Doctor Strange destroying the universe because he fell out of love with Christine and stuff like that. I was like, you are pinning this entire episode on us believing that that Benedict Cumberbatch and Rachel McAdams had chemistry in Doctor Strange, which they didn't. And this is like a universe-ending, a universe-defining love story. And as Matt alluded to earlier, like Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness did a far, far, far better job of that in like three scenes 
I just think this is a a boring thing that exists. It is the the absolute bottom of the barrel for the MCU. I can't believe we're getting a second season. I almost can't believe that I will inevitably watch every episode of it. I am annoyed at myself for being a completionist. This this is the thing that made Matt and I, or made me make Matt say, like, we are not covering animation <laughs> of marvel in general it's why i am groot isn't on this list it's why if we do this list in the future i imagine i will probably bunt, punt what if from it just because it is so fundamentally not a thing that is canonical like even down to the characters that got to appear in the movies in quotation marks it might not even be the same captain carter in in doctor strange the multiverse of madness zero reaction to captain carter in any screening i've heard of like all these arguments like oh they're all going to be canon they're all going to roll out they're all going to rock up and it's like okay here's one nobody gives a shit and now she's dead cool bye <laughs> so did the person who ranked this number nine only do it because of episode two because i feel like that's the only argument no that i would have no, that, that was me because i didn't finish this marvel yes the only person who ranked this at ninth did it because they did not finish the other show that's me i guess it's a perfect transition to me since it's my talking point but they did too much in the first season like these episodes should not have been like 30 minutes they should have been like 45 minutes and only six episodes because like half these episodes you didn't even need some of them were like "Ooh, this was interesting but i wish they expanded more on them because it was too short like the doctor strange one i did like a lot but i felt like this was too short like it, it needed to like breathe more and then the, the marvel zombies one was kind of like okay this is fun but then what's this seems like a big deal in like the, the mc or like the marvel comics like this whole zombie thing and yet we're just kind of making it this like side project that's insequential and the other problem is too is like everything is insequential like they kind of promise us like oh this will tie into the mcu and blah 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 and sure it kind of does but it has no like actually any consequences to the actual timeline like it's just kind of like as it like the what if concept is good for like i think comic book reading but not so much like a cartoon because by the like the fourth or fifth episode it's going to be like okay this is fun but it means nothing and everything else by that point means nothing so if they would have done something to make it stick out and actually have a something to do with the mcu like the timeline or whatever then i think yeah it would have been higher but it just kind of like a waste of time by the end of it yeah i i just think this is bad like one one out of ten kind of level is, is my feeling on this and i know some people push back at me on that i'm just like this is to me the, a focal point of a failure of ambition uh, on the part of the MCU. But number nine, we're ready for another rant. Matthew Waters, if you would mind running us through Moon Knight, our number nine pick for TV shows. Um... <laughs> Jerome's laughing because I think he reads Marvel Mondays. Moon Knight pissed me off, basically. A character beloved to me. Jeff Lemire's run, Warren Ellis, Cullen Bunn, like, all these incredible runs that are like on a silver platter to adapt into prestige television. One of the runs is fucking, it's six issues and they're all fucking just completely different. There's like an issue. They could just be episodes. You could just adapt those six and you've got a six. There's literally a raid episode where Moon Knight goes up an apartment complex beating up thugs. There's an episode where he like goes into a like, sleep center sleep research center and finds a corpse buried underneath that takes him into like a trippy mushroom dream there is so much content yeah, you could just make this anthology show about this really diverse abilities character and instead we get this fucking garbage he suits up like four times he has four fights he loses one of them one of them's two on one and they lose one of them is off screen one of them is with a jackal and you can you can't fucking see what's going on and one of them is like him against 30 dudes and they kind of win and he doesn't do anything impressive and they just run away. And it's like, okay, if you don't know who Moon Knight is, 
surely you think this guy is a fucking dope who can't beat anyone up, which just seems like superhero 101 is let them do cool shit. You have Oscar Isaac, incredible actor, great get, wants to just be in every fucking franchise, cast him as Harvey Dent in Matt Reeves' Batman, that would be great. And episode one, it's like, okay, I get what we're going for here, split personality, this is all interesting. But as it goes on, it's clear, no interest. Well, that's the problem, too much interest, actually, because there are like six people in this show, and two of them are the same fucking guy. And Layla is in a third of it, and we have a whole episode that's delving into his backstory, not one moment with her, and like, they spend three episodes like, let's make a shitty mummy movie. And boy, you nailed it. It was shitty. And I could be here all night. I just think it was just an abject failure, a waste of a character. Do not, for the life of me, understand why some people have a raging hard-on for this thing, because I thought it was fucking trash. (sighs) Brian, you had it at number eight, so obviously you're slightly more positive than Matthew was on this one. So, Brian, do you want to run through Moon Knight? I mean, it started fine. It's just like when it get it got too cute for its own good. You know what I mean? It was like we're gonna do flashbacks and tell it out of order and make the audience, you know, confused a little bit that we're gonna bring it full circle at the end. And I'm like, I guess, like, I kind of wish it was just more like linear than I think I would have more enjoyed it. But I didn't know what to expect because I'm not like a fan, like I didn't read any of his comics. I'm not necessarily a big fan of the character, but I had friends who were just so like they did my boy wrong, man. They did my boy wrong. So I get it. I get it. I get this like criticism from the fans. But for me, and I was just like. Okay, I, the mummy thing was fine. You know, the mummy remake, <laughs> whatever episode that was. I was really disappointed with like the CGI. Like, I thought this was one of the weaker CGI kind of things they've done in the in the MCU. Like, I thought the boat looked like the most fake looking boat. I was like, this doesn't even look like a real. They didn't even get a real boat in front of the green screen. They just put like a green screen boat. So I was like, what? What? Why did they do that? And then the I, I love giant kaiju fights. Don't get me wrong, but when they had the kaiju fight at the end of this thing, I was just like, doesn't everyone see what's going on right now? And doesn't like everyone like start calling the Avengers or nine one one or something? Like, hey, we got two giant creatures fighting out here in Egypt. Can you come help us? And I guess not, that didn't even happen technically because it was I don't know, very confusing at the end. So you got a confusing plot. Oscar Isaac's pretty good. It's just that, like, he's being too goofy. I don't know. Like, I expected him as more of a badass, but they went more of the goofy route. So, I don't know. Just kind of, like, some weird directing choices. And then you got Ethan Hawke trying his best, trying to make it interesting. I mean, I love the fact that they put glass in his shoes and he's, you know, limping around. I thought that was a good little detail, but then it was like, to what end? And it wasn't really a big payoff. It was just him liking pain, apparently, thinking that it's some kind of sacrificial thing to the gods or whatever. But uh, just too much stuff. It was a little too, like, ambitious, too, trying to tie in all the multiple afterlifes together into one singular afterlife where it's just like the ancestral plane or whatever from Black Panther. Like, that's the same thing as this or blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I think you're I think you're trying too hard here to connect it and then when they got all the gods in that meeting i was just like okay this is this is a little confusing here because whose gods are these does that mean that god has power where are they all the other gods where are the greek gods they kind of explained it at thor love and thunder with all the gods in, the, in that giant meeting they had but in this case i was just kind of like okay this is fine i guess in the end i was just kind of like okay this should have been like a movie for sure. I know Jerome really was like emphasizing that part, but but I think the tone was just kind of off. And I think, I don't know, I thought it was too like bright 
color, like too many bright colors for the theme it should have been. Should have been like darker kind of tones in terms of the colors too. But they went with this. Like if you see that scene where they're going down that mountain in the first episode, I was like, this is really bright and like flowery. But I don't know if this kind of matches the tone of what they're trying to should or should be doing. So right off the bat, I was kind of iffy, and then it just kind of like fizzled out at the end. So it wasn't too high on it. For me, the most insulting thing was the writers coming out and saying that the episode in the afterlife was their homage to the leftovers, and I was like, shut your whole mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I was pretty angry about that, too. I, do, I think I... Did we DM each other about this? Yeah, like, it's like International Assassin is like one of the best episodes of television of the last ten years. You do not get to come out there and go like, we're trying to be International Assassin and not get my ire. <laughs> I mean, Justin Theroux should have just thrown his dick around and been like, no. <laughs> Literally. So, number eight, um, a te- my my Moon Knight, a movie I will rant about because it was my number nine pick. But I'm going to throw to Jerome first on Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So, Jerome, why was this your number seven and why was it collectively our number eight? So here's the thing. I, I just want to say that for me, my seven through ten, if I combine all the MCU projects together in like a Voltron, my numbers seven through ten would actually be my bottom four. I'm saying that to represent that I actually dis- I, I hate seven, eight, nine, and ten on my list, two of which have already been mentioned. My number seven is Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I, I don't really have a good reason for why this is higher than, than Moon Knight, What If, and the other one that's on the bottom. But, Ben, I, I am sure that I, I feel like we've talked about just how terrible the show was. And I feel like I think we really like I think everybody like liked WandaVision and we're generally pretty positive, like maybe the last couple episodes weren't spectacular, but I feel like people were excited for the MCU. They were excited to have it on their TV screens after a year of COVID and and no MCU. So I feel like people were pretty positive on WandaVision. Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which was supposed to be first, came out of the gates and just hit with a massive thud. And this show just raised so many issues. Like, (laughs) I'm going to let Ben rant on this because I feel like he's got one coming. But boy, just the lamest, limpest version of these two characters. I feel like I feel like they were like, okay, we want to do like our midnight run or we want to do our buddy cop movie. And like they had one 10 second scene in Captain America Civil War. And they were like, oh, we could make this into a show. No, you can't. You really can't because these two characters are not nearly as funny when they have to be the two main characters. And I feel like they were going for like a Fast and Furious vibe at times too, and that just did not work. I mean, that therapy scene was painful between the two of them. And I think Captain America's big speech in the in episode six, it's just like, I mean... There is a certain segment of this country that would absolutely love that speech, and they're the ones that watch MSNBC and and vote for Joe Biden and swear they would have voted for Barack Obama for a third term. But boy, oh boy, does that speech come off very, very poorly in this atmosphere and coming off the summer of 2020. I just think that speech was completely tone deaf, and it just didn't work. And I think there is a really good movie to be made about what black soldiers had to go through and being experimented on and, you know, the Tuskegee thing and things of that nature. The Disney Corporation is just not the ones to do that so i absolutely didn't i i hated this show and i am not in any way excited for captain america 4 because of the fact that this is so bad so yeah i just i'm gonna let ben go because i feel like ben might be able to articulate why the show was so bad much better than i can i mean for me the biggest weakness is this is the ultimate version of something that we've discussed a lot matt and i privately in terms of so many of these shows feel like two movies stapled together and kind of redundantly 
And there is nothing more clear than this, where, like, you have this freedom fighter and you have this movie about, like, the identity of what it's like to be a black superhero. And if you manage to, like, enmesh these two things together in a way that felt more satisfying, I would be a lot more positive on this movie. Like, I think my my basic pitch on how to fix the show was to have John Walker be a racist. And he has been selected as the official next Captain America but in the background, there's this Robin Hood type figure who is stealing medicine and giving it to the poor, who is mixed race. And you are you are taking these elements and like having him get increasingly more and more angry that like he's unpopular because he's a colonizer. He is imperialism writ large and doing a bad job of it compared to Steve Rogers. And everyone loves this person who is stealing from the rich and giving to them poor, the poor. But as you said, like the Disney Corporation will never make that. The ultimate political message of the show is that of milk toast, centrism, this maintain the status quo for as long as you can. You have chosen a black Captain America who is rebelling against racial violence within America and and ingrained racism in this country, but ultimately comes down and says, but you know what, we need to trust the government that's going to do right by us because, like, you know, we're kind of elected them. And it's just like, it, it's so poorly attuned to the political landscape of the time and to what exactly would be radical about Captain America in this day and age and what a black Captain America should mean. And on top of that, you have all these cutesy callbacks to to Daniel Brühl and Agent 13 and, and, and all the rest of it and the introduction of Val. And I'm just like, why is all this here? Why are you doing this and not threading the needle on it? Honestly, it's embarrassing that they thought that this was going to work. And obviously part of it is the pandemic fucked them and they were going to have more about the kind of the inequality of medicine going around. But they bottled it in so many ways that it just ends up as this toothless political satire. And the idea of them having to take this on to do the leader and presumably some kind of cabal in the background in Captain America 4, I'm terrified about that movie after... As we saw on the movie list, all three Captain America movies are in our top ten. And I have a, a, a stinking feeling that Captain America 4 will not be. I will say, so I, I know we've said a lot of really negative stuff and all of it's been justified. And I think the show is is really terrible. But I just want to say, Emily Van Camp's agent, again, tremendous work for getting her in the credits, even though she's in like two episodes. Just great stuff, man. Like, good for him or her. Yeah, Although apparently her role may be downsized in Captain America 4 because of the backlash to the role in this. But I we mean, will see. It's, it's, it's hard to blame them because, boy, oh boy, they just have never fig- been able to figure out what they were going to do with that character. I think Andor, which I think I'm the only one that has finished. I have. Um, I think Andor actually articulates a lot of the things that Falcon and the Winter Soldier was doing, trying to do much better. Well, at some point I will watch it. I've watched none of the Star Wars Disney Plus shows, so at some point I will. You can just leave that Andor. Yeah, just watch that one. <laughs> Yeah, just watch Andor, honestly. Okay, so I'm different to Jerome in that I actually think number seven is the show that I'm most intrigued to see a season two from. Yeah. I'm not saying that it's a good show. It is our number seven, after all. But it is She-Hulk Attorney at Law. And I'm going to throw it to Matthew to start this one off before we get around from Jerome, because (laughs) he is probably the... Well, me and him were tied in our opinions, but I think Matt's got... He's going to articulate what doesn't work about this show, but also what's kind of like a light of hope. Yeah, they got in their own way a lot with this one. And I think there is a really good show in here and I really want to watch it. And I, I, as you said, like nothing that they have made so far, I think am I more excited? Well, 
maybe not excited. I'm fascinated to see what season two of She-Hulk is because they spend the whole season telling you, we're a lawyer show. We're not this kind of show. We're not that kind of show. We're not a team-up show. This is just a fun little legal sitcom. It's not, though. And I would really love it to be. And, like, they spend the whole season committing to this giant meta bit at the end with, with Kevin and, like, you know, the whole big sexy marvel plot is actually fake and it's all just dunking on on incels who you know a lot of the stuff they're putting on social media dissing she hulk within universe is like exactly what is happening on the internet whenever a trailer drops with anything is not a white dude and i want to really commend them for doing that but like now we've done that what happens next do you do the fun low stakes madison and wong the retreat sleeping with Matt Murdock, my boy's back. All of that, really, really fucking fun. Are you going to do that? Are you going to have things for Nikki and Pug and Mallory to do every week like you would on a normal TV show? Or are you going to try and one-up yourself and do something even weirder? And a lot was made ahead of time about how fucking terrible the CGI is on She-Hulk. And in places, it's really fucking rough. I think it's overblown. Like, there are episodes and scenes where i think she looks really good it just looks like a painted lady and i guess that's your that's your aim when you're doing digital stuff is that it looks like a human like i think she looks good at the wedding and when she's fighting demons with wong and that kind of thing but i really want to like it i love tatiana Mullaney. i think when it was hitting on all cylinders towards the end it was a really good show and i i really want to see season two but <laughs> there's some trepidation about if they just don't learn from any of this and if they do try and one-up themselves and because like yeah okay you made your joke but you also committed an awful lot of screen time to setting it up that could have been going to just making the show that you claim you're making so i really did not like the show and i feel like there's many many reasons for it and there's a lot of layers to why i think the show is so bad i don't want to be put on the side of the man babies who didn't like the fact that oh it's not a white dude that's in the main role i mean i am the some i am somebody who suffered through four seasons of orphan black a show that really only had like one and a half good seasons because tatiana maslani is a star she is a fantastic choice like if you had said who is somebody that should have been brought into the mcu for phase four she would probably be like at the top of the list because she is already so she is somebody who has shown she could be very good in genre tv shows i think she's the perfect casting for this role i think she's really funny i think she could be serious when she needs to be i was just very impressed by the casting decision and for that reason alone i was invested in the idea of this of this she hulk tv show and then i watched the pilot and i was like oh boy this is rough i mean it feels like a show that they really struggled to put together and this is a show i mean the rumor is that like the first episode was the penultimate episode at one point either in the writing process or they had to move it after shooting i really struggled with this with this show and i wanted to like it I don't understand how you make a legal comedy without any legal cases. I mean, yes, there were cases, but like, there's like no lawyer talk whatsoever. And I know that David E. Kelly is not the perfect person, but the problem with these TV shows is I don't think they have TV writers or they don't have TV writers who are good at structuring dramas. And I think that that's what this show needed. And I mean, honestly, I would have just gone to David E. Kelly and say, give me a number and just come on the first season and write some legal stuff because I think it would have made a huge difference. He's also the create. I think he's the creator of Ali McBeal. So 
I think having someone like David E. Kelly would have helped the show tremendously just because I think they need structure to the TV shows. And I think this is the problem that we've been hinting at with Moon Knight and with Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And we're probably going to continue discussing it as we get through the list. But this show was so, so messy. And because of that, the ending feels very, very unearned. And I know Ben mentioned the fact that it was a disgrace that Moon Knight mentioned the fact that they wanted to be the leftovers. There was a point when they talked about the idea of of She-Hulk, of Jessica being Fleabag, and I just wanted to say I took personal offense to that. Yeah, okay, same. It feels like a lazy thing to say, like, oh, she talks to Cameron, she's going through an existential crisis. Like, no. They really ramped up the, the positions to Cameron later on in the season, and yeah. it's one of those things where, like, it feels like, did that come in late that you were going to, like, hedge your bets on it? Because as you said to me, that, like, you, it was, like, one or two times an episode and then by the end she's kind of doing it more consistently and it's like this should have been a conceit all along yeah they'll go 15 minutes without doing it you're like oh yeah she talks to camera i was like either do it or don't she has a right to do it she was breaking the fourth wall like four years before deadpool was even created i think and like even longer before deadpool started doing all the shit that we know him for all fair what you said like you know piloting twice essentially and 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 all of that i'm not like she hulk fucking rules I just there's a show in there I want to like. Yeah, and I hope I, it comes I, out. I think, I think, the same I think there's a show that I want to like too. I mean, again, Tatiana Maslany is a star. Period. End of story. Yeah. The fact that they gave her absolutely nothing is a crime. I think those last three episodes are where I want the show to kind of be, but like with a more focused episode point. But that's enough on She Hulk. We're moving on to my most heartbreaking ranking on this list uh this was my number three show but it is way down by one of us being unfinished in having watched all of it it is miss marvel our number six i'm not going in to say that i think this show is perfect i just think that iman is a goddamn star and this show if it got to be six episodes of a teen drama could have been something truly special instead it's kind of three episodes of a teen drama and then two episodes of a trip to Pakistan, which is affecting and interesting, but really should have been saved for a season two. We are going to talk about this like so much. This is two movie scripts shoved together, either make two movies or make a goddamn TV show. I would watch the show about horny teenagers going on dates and being cute and stuff together. You don't even have to do much superheroic stuff. The fact that like you were introducing fucking interdimensional beings into this show when it could just be a young girl who is a Muslim learning to use her powers from saving people falling off clock towers and stuff like that. Like this could be your chance to do Spider-Man properly in the MCU instead of like what you've been doing. But it feels like they keep on pulling back into their worst instincts in all of these positions where like they don't want to stay with a with a status quo but like comic books are comic books for a reason like there are so many issues of miss marvel which are just her dealing with family stuff and don't have that much super heroics like you don't need to give me a special effect showcase every episode but i genuinely think that kind of the first two episodes of the final episode of this show are some of the most stylishly directed and and putting thought into different things that I was just kind of blown away by the charm, by the by the char- charisma of all the actors at the heart of this, and the fact that it felt like Marvel committing to to doing a show in a genre and sticking to it. And then there were just two episodes that are not that whatsoever. And obviously some of that is like getting directors who are less interesting in, who just don't have the stylistic flair to do to do interesting things. And 
it's my number three because I think everything when it's working, this I think is working at the highest level of any of the MCU TV shows. But when it isn't, it is kind of the poster child for all of my complaints and issues with the phase four TV shows. Yeah, I mean, I think our opinions are not all that dissimilar. I have it a little lower ranked, but I had a really hard time with this show because I think this just came at a point, you know, after watching Moon Knight and after watching so many of these shows, I was really excited by the pilot. I really, really enjoyed the first episode. And there are even parts of the second episode that I enjoyed, but it just, it really got bogged down. We couldn't decide who the villain was. We couldn't really make a decision about like the romantic interests and where that was going. I think season one should have stayed in New Jersey. I think season two basically should have all been in Pakistan. I think that would have made for so much better. Like I think was it the partition episode? Like that first half of it where they brought in like these two like legendary actors from that area. Is that the one? Yeah, episode five is the partition episode when they like they... that should have been an episode in yep. season two by itself. And it probably would have been regarded as like one of the best episodes because if they were in Pakistan, they could have just focused on that story for an entire thirty to forty-five minutes. And I think it would have been I think it would have worked out really well. I just think the idea of the two movies stapled together, I think is perfect. And again, I think this is why you need experienced TV writers, not and I know that there's a lot of Rick and Morty writers who are doing Marvel stuff, and that's that's fine, but Rick and Morty writers are not structuring dramas, and that's what you need to do. And again, as much as we bash the 22-episode model, I think that what they were able to do is they're able to structure those shows in such a way where they are able to tell stories within episodes, but also have a greater overarching theme. Um, I think that's what a show like Buffy the Vampire Slayer did really well, and I could probably name some others. I think Justified, in terms of basic cable, is a really good example. So, yeah, I just think this met the same structural problems as the other Marvel shows. But again, it's it sucks because I think there is a really good show. I think the lead is, is very, very good. I think she is... Again, I, I watch the documentaries because I'm just curious to see whatever spin they want to put on it. And you can just see what evolved charisma she is. And you can see that she is going to be a star. And I really hope the Marvels is good. I hope it gives focus to the Ms. Marvel character because I think I think we need, we need more and better representation. And I think this is an opportunity for that. 100%. Um, number five, right, so this is the one that Matt and I are the most baffled by. We both have this at number seven. Both of you had this at number two. We are, of course, talking the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Possibly the most nothing project that I've seen of all of these. I think I said to Matthew on the day that I watched it, I said, if this thing was any lighter, it would dissolve in water. <laughs> I think I just enjoyed it. Like, I don't, I don't see, I don't just, I, I don't feel particularly passionate about any of these, maybe with the exception of my number one, I don't feel any particular passion. And I am sure that this will go down as we go through it. I don't know. Maybe this felt, this feels like I was protesting more than anything. Okay. Well, Brian is the one who's defending this one on the, on the, of the two of you. So Brian, Guns of the Galaxy Holiday Special is not your number two. What did you love about it? Or what did you enjoy about it more than the, the eight projects beneath it? You know what? It's supposed to be a Christmas special. And with certain rules with a Christmas special, it's like you're supposed to be lighthearted. Not too many consequences. By the end of the thing, everyone's supposed to be happy. And that's what we got. We got a big, you know, celebrity cameo. 
we got presence you know we got like uh la like parts of la that i know i've been to that i've been to the front of the chinese theater plenty of time and i've seen plenty of those street performers that annoy the shit out of me so that really got like i really connected with that part so maybe just because like i'm from la and i know this whole the way things go in la and just seeing like the star maps i just i just marked out for that because i've god knows how many people have been coming up to me like star maps star maps get your star maps a lot a lot uh, if you go to downtown LA, so just that whole Hollywood feel mixed with like Batista getting more screen time and Mantis getting more screen time. Like I thought that was the perfect two to, to be the leads for this. We've gotten so much Chris Pratt that like he was just kind of thrown to the side, which is fine for me. I love the fact that they bring in the Kevin Bacon stuff because that's kind of the tie into the, the storyline they've been building up to. Like people thought he should have been Ego, the Living Planet. I'm one of those people, I think in the end that he probably should have because I think that would have been even more meta and funnier, but um, still, like for a Christmas special, this checks all the boxes. It's got great Christmas music. Every like the, it's still got that Guardians like feel. It's got the bright colors, the fun me- indie music that you really never heard of until James Gunn makes it popular. Overall, I just had a big smile on my face at the end, and we didn't get a lot of Rocket, which was fine, I guess. I kind of wanted more Rocket, but again, they wanted to focus on Mantis and Drax, which is fine for me, and it gave Batista <laughs> more. I think Batista in 10 years is going to win an Oscar, like, so, within the next 10 years, and I'm kind of like, I would put money on that. I don't know. Just I felt like this was like a showcase for him. And I, I love the, the tie-in with Mantis to finally revealing that we kind of figured it out. Like, I talked to my friends about this. Like, we kind of knew that they were, like, half-brother and sister, but they didn't emphasize it until now. So I thought, okay, this is a, this is a big clue for what's going to happen maybe in Guardians 3, like, the fact that they reveal this relationship now. So I thought that was important. And I, I love Craglin having a role, too, because he's usually just, like, in the background. But in this case, they give him, you know, like, actually, he's, like, an important member of the team now. So they emphasize that. What was that? The, the, the Russian dog? I wasn't, you know, I... That's okay. I'm not really a big fan of that character. I think that character can just go away, and that's fine. But, you know, they just have him in the background. It's fine. But overall, I enjoyed it a lot, and I was laughing throughout most of it, which is good. And I would fully expect Kevin Bacon to come back, either for another Guardians Christmas special or something like that. But it just feels like he's not done, which is cool, because, like, usually celebrity cameos are just, like, one and done in movies and stuff like that or franchises. But in this case, it feels like he could come back and actually have, like, something to do. Because, like, the way that they build it up, like, he's not really a hero, he's just an actor. It feels like there's, like, something else more to come with Kevin Bacon, that he's going to come back and, like, save the day or something in, like, the next Guardian special or something like that. But uh, I was I was pretty, like, stoked that they got him in for it, and he was willing to, like, play along. And, like, I'm not sure if that was his real house, but apparently he loves Christmas like that, so they kind of tie that in together. So I had a lot of fun with it. And even though it's low stakes, and, it you know, you don't have to watch it to, like get anything out of the mcu in terms of like major like points in time but just that moment at the end uh with the big reveal and i love the fact that it, like it takes place on nowhere i love that whole setting from the first one and i'm glad they went back to that and it's going to be a major part of the uh, guardians 3 but that nowhere set i just love because you know it's a it's a giant head but like it's just like this like almost like a prison type planet where it's like the inmates are running the asylum and that's the vibe you get, and I just love that vibe of nowhere. And they they brought it back, and I loved it. I want to know how much Kira Sedgwick got paid for her phone cameo. That's <laughs> this this to me felt like James Gunn has had a very busy post pandemic. He does six <laughs> episodes of Peacemaker. He then does shoots all the Guardians Volume Three. Presumably, there's probably some pickups on Suicide Squad as well, and then also films this and. He said that he wrote this script in a day, and I believe it. Because 
10 minutes of this script is taken up by two musical performances. And I'm not saying that the musical performances are bad. I'm not saying anything in this special is bad. It just feels like nothing at the end of the day. And, like, I enjoyed spending time with these characters. I don't begrudge this thing existing. I just... I know that I'm not going to throw this on every Christmas. I, I, I don't think there's anything in it that makes me inclined to ever watch it again, apart from the fact that we will be discussing it at some point in Marvelous Journey. I think it's undecided if it's like we tag it onto the Guardians 3 episode in, in 2024 or whatever, or if we find some way to cover it in Phase 4. But it's just, it's so slight. And I will say, the soundtrack is banging. I love all of the Christmas songs. I was having a blast. It was lovely to hear Low only a few days after Mimi Parker had died. We did want to ask you Americans, obviously, do, are you aware of what Fairy Tale in New York by the Pogues is in Britain? As like, a, like how much of a cultural phenomenon it is? No. No. So, yeah, it's, that's... It's, uh, it's like the Christmas song. It is, yeah, but it's like our Christmas song. It's like consistently every Christmas it's in like the top two charts there is a concerted campaign every year to get it to finally chart at number one because it's never charted number one. In the UK, it's like, this is the Christmas song. Like, more so than, like, Mariah Carey, more so than, like, any of those, like, famous Christmas songs. The Pogues is the the British Christmas song that has discourse and play. And and every year you get to listen to uh, middle-aged people claim that you should be able to say the F-slur. Um, <laughs> because it meant a different thing back then anyway great soundtrack lovely seeing everyone i just kind of like i went into it kind of going like boy i wish there was a little bit something more like even if it was just like rocket and cosmo decorating groot as like a b plot whilst mantis and drax are like off on earth or something just just something to give me a little bit more meat so here's the thing. I, I do want to point this out because we talked about this with What If. I like the animation in the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. The, the rotoscoping. Why? Did, I wish they had almost done the whole thing that way and just had them do voiceovers. Probably would have been probably would have made for a better episode. I was going to ask, like, so that is rotoscoping that they've done from the looks of it. So I'm like, yeah. did they get Michael Rooker in full makeup and then rotoscope him, or did? Yeah, they- that's, uh, I saw the behind the scenes something, but it, they did bring him back for that scene. They did, but like, is he in makeup? Is he in the full makeup, or is he like just doing like because it's rotoscoping? You just kind of overlay the animation. Oh, I know what you mean. I think I forgot, but I'm pretty sure he didn't need to be in makeup. Like, it's just they're gonna make him blue anyway. So it's just I think they just had the dots on his face or whatever. And it actually made me think of Eight Crazy Nights, to be honest. (laughs) It's so forgotten now, but it's I think that was almost up too. It's uh, but I'm just saying like that animation style, like that reminded me of Eight Crazy Nights. Yeah, it's an animation style that obviously Richard Linklater uses a lot. Because obviously that's what Apollo 10.5 uses. It's what was used in... Waking Life. Yes, Waking Life. And then the, the Philip K. Dick adaptation he did with, with Downey Jr. and Keanu Reeves. Scanner, uh, Scanner Darkly is the name of it. So they, that's that's the animation style. And then it was also the the other show that the creator Bojack Horseman did for Amazon with, with Bob Odenkirk is, is rotoscoped. This is the road scoping podcast here. Well, animation has come up and we're actually doing something positive about it. But yeah, I did really like the animation in it. But we're now time to talk about our number four, which is the other special from this year. I think Matt and I both had this higher than Guardians, but you both had it lower. But we are, of course, talking Wealth by Night. I'm going to throw it to Matt, who is the biggest defender of this one. He was toying with having it number two, but he didn't. He bottled it in the end. Yeah, I just think it's a real shot in the arm. And like, where has this kind of thing been? Like, 
flex, like do some fucking director. Like how embarrassed must you be to be a full-time director and a fucking composer comes in on his first, one well, his first try, but you know, of a, of a sizable nature comes in and fucking direct the pants off most of the MCU directors. Not everybody, but you know, um, just so many little fun little flares like Elsa rolling in and out of that little sunken garden pit and Elsa's a character I've wanted forever. There's, there's a list on the website with that. You know, it's the first special. Um, of, you know, we heard they were going to do these things and Werewolf by Night was rumored for a really long time before they committed to it. And everyone's like, I don't know about this. This is a really big swing, a very niche character. And I thought it worked out brilliantly. And I think this is more the direction I'd like to see them go. More specials, fewer like full on TV shows and probably fewer movies. Not everything needs to be two and a half hours or six episodes or 10 episodes. Some stuff can just be a low stakes in and out, 40 minutes, here they are, boom done and i had a great deal of fun with wealth by night you know the, the throwback horror vibes and i thought gael garcia bernal was really really good as jack i like the dog acting the subtle stuff if you know he is jack you know the, the werewolf before they reveal that some of the little things they're doing with him like the way he scratches himself and just yeah just i really like that and like the shot of elsa terrified in the cage and just doing it all through silhouette and her reaction really good i would love to see these two pop back up, like form the Midnight Sun. More Man Thing, please. I mean, here's here's Rip Off's Swamp Thing, but like... Mm, Very unclear. (laughs) The creator of Man Thing and Swamp Thing shared an apartment and both of their first issues published within a month of each other. So very unclear who ripped who off, but I just thought it was fun. Like, let's do more of this. Let's get in, let's get out. Let's have a short, fun, low stakes time. Jerome. I really enjoyed this as well. I think that in terms of introducing the idea of special presentations, I am surprised that this isn't something that they've tried to do earlier. I hope it's something that we see honestly more often than TV shows. I just think this works out so much better. I think you could tell smaller scale stories. Maybe you don't need a story like with Guardians that has a villain necessarily. You could do something like this, and I think it it works out for everybody involved. You get Uh, maybe a different quality of actor. Like maybe you can get some different people involved who don't want to commit to a two and a half hour movie that's going to take four months to shoot or a six episode TV series that, because, you know, some people maybe don't want to do TV. Like, I think this is a great way to kind of expand the scope of who you're casting. And maybe you can bring them back later if they they so desire because they like the character or whatever. Michael Giacchino is great. I think Brian and I talked a lot about him for The Incredibles because he did the score for that. And I think that is pretty probably his best score he's done a lot of really good ones though he did the batman as well so he's a very very busy individual this year and yeah i just think this was very impressive in terms of the direction in terms of kind of, there was some visual panache to this that you don't see from a lot of other marvel movies it's funny to me that this was in black and white yet this felt like it had more color than a lot of mcu movies i don't know what that says but those are my thoughts i think matt articulated really well just wait what made werewolf by night works so well i think it was perfect for the format it was really well directed and i hope we get something like this every year i hope we get i would love it if we got like a spooky marvel thing every year and a holiday special every year i just want to say jerome you're wrong michael giacchino's best score is the lost score uh <laughs> six seasons of it and it fucking rips and it will never not make me cry sorry lost boy uh... <laughs> 
On to number three. So this is Matt and mine both had this at number two. You guys had it more central to your list. Number three, Hawkeye. I'm going to throw it to Brian on this one. So you guys had this more central on your list. I'll save Matt gushing in a second. But Brian, <laughs> uh, Hawkeye for you, please. I really enjoyed it a lot. I mean, it was a little too long, but I love the action sequences in this, sh- this series. I think the action sequences are very well put together. I think, I forget which episode it was, but it was that car chase that really was like, oh, shit, this is some really great action sequences. Like, it really stood out for me more so than, like, all the other shows and, like, maybe even some of, like, the more recent Marvel movies. Except maybe Shang-Chi had probably the best fight choreography. I would say, like, that a lot of the action sequences in Hawkeye were just, like, really well done. Even, like, the stuff at the end with the tree. I thought that was really well shot. I love the Christmas feel to it. You know, it's trying it's trying to do the Die Hard thing, which, you know, it's, it's fine. It's kind of doing that slight homage to it. But then it's got, like, the borderline Christmas movie kind of stuff going on. On, being alone on, on Christmas away from your family having this makeshift daughter help you out uh, not be alone on Christmas that kind of thing so I dug all of that and then the fact that got Vincent D'Onofrio to come back as Kingpin I mean I had no clue that was coming and then once the rumbling started probably about episode two or three I was like no way like what how does that even fit in and then you realize okay it's the multiverse so he's just another version of Kingpin and in this universe slightly less powerful we don't get to see his family, but I don't know if they're going to tie that in somehow that the past that we saw and then like the Daredevil show is going to be continuity or not. But I think that like if that if this is the case that it is the multiverse, I would love to see Vanessa come back. I never finished Daredevil season three, but I heard she doesn't come back. But I would love to see her come back because I thought she was a great Vanessa and like a good like anchor for the Kingpin character. You know, and we got like with uh, the new characters coming in, we actually got like Florence Pugh coming back, which I didn't expect either. And she was like a big part of the show. I thought it was going to be like small cameo here and there, like that Marvel Easter egg after the credit thing. But no, she had a significant role in the series, even playing towards like the finale of it all. I love Tony Dalton as Jack, even though like, I don't know, it felt like insignificant in the end, but his performance is so like Cary Grant, 1960s, whether, you know what I mean? Like, do we trust this asshole or not kind of thing? Like from like all the Cary Grant movies from the past, it's like, do we trust this guy? Because he's acting like an asshole. He's the good guy, but he's charming. And I love that about that character. For me, just like she did a good job. Like she, maybe she played it too cynical at times that you can see right through it. Maybe she needed to be more like empathetic towards her daughter. But there's certain ways you could have directed her. But by the like halfway point, I was like, okay, she's the bad guy. What's what's the setup? But I felt like you could have directed it more where you didn't believe she was the bad guy until like later in the end. That was my only kind of like that was one of the few criticisms I had. It was like that relationship between her and uh, Kate Bishop. I felt like there was something missing there. And I don't know if it was because, like, the whole lack of the dad thing and the dad died during the the Avengers uh, New York attack. But, you know, overall, I think they tied it together at the end. Well, even though, like, I would not have done the Echo stuff, to be honest, because that's where I feel like they tried to put too much in it. And then that's where you have to pad the four or five episodes six episodes in this case but it felt like that was just more padding but it did like intrigue you as to what's going on with the kingpin character and their connection so i don't know if you could have done kingpin without echo or vice versa but i would have chosen one of the two and i would have chosen kingpin over echo you know i mean echo did get a good response from the fans so i'm glad that she did get that response and i love the fact that she's an actual deaf actor so that adds a lot of weight to the role and i thought you know that Kate Bishop character has a lot of a lot of spunk, you know what I mean? And it's that na- naivety or naivete, I should say, like that a lot of like earlier superhero movies kind of had when it was like you got these powers and then you want to just save the world or whatever. And then you don't realize the consequences of your actions kind of thing. That part I love because that's kind of like 
origin story 101 here superhero stuff you know what i mean it's like you go into naive you're gonna end up losing something and i felt like she should have lost something by the end of it like some kind of consequence but that didn't happen so i don't know if they're setting that up for later on but i felt like there's a big lesson for her to learn at the end of all this because i feel like she's going into like okay this is too easy too naive but something big is about to happen i don't know if it's gonna be the loss of her mom or something like that or maybe the death of hawkeye but yeah i thought that there should have been bigger consequences for her being so naive. Yeah, there's definitely some messiness where it seems like they changed something around late, something with the mother and and, and Jack, and even seemingly with Echo and Kazi. Something weird happened there, I think, as well, because it seems like she goes from being completely fucking clueless that he was responsible to, like, sudden, does she, does she even know? But overall, like, I fucking love Hayley Steinfeld and, and I love Kate Bishop and I thought she was a perfect choice and I'm so excited that she's going to get to play in the MCU for uh, hopefully a good long time and you know this dream besties couple with Florence Pugh and like I've always loved the idea of this like they are the next generation Hawkeye and Black Widow kind of thing and you can do that with you can basically make an Avengers team of like successes to mantles and I assume that's actually what the Avengers team is going to be but you can like keep Thor because Thor's immortal or whatever it, it's got its moments where it's a little bit messy but I just thought I, I loved how much they made room for TV stuff let's have Yelena and Kate sit down and have a 10 minute conversation. Let's have Clint and Kate get drunk and decorate a Christmas tree. You know, like these are the small moments that Marvel aren't good at. Everything must be dumping plot and just like the 10 second abbreviation of <laughs> whatever you want to achieve from the scene and then into the action kind of thing. Uh, TV is, is a medium that allows more time for you to breathe and, and spend time just doing fun, silly stuff. And I thought they did plenty of that. And yeah, bonus points from me for like, you know, the Christmas setting as well. And like, you know, the Kingpin, this is D'Onofrio in like first gear. And like, there are many more to go and I hope we get to them again. But even seeing him in first gear one more time, it's like, oh, the boy is back. I really, really loved it. And like, in some ways it's, it, 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 sentimentally like in my heart it's my favorite but like i for me there is a clear number one but we've got something else to talk about first we do so this is probably the clearest indication of how split we are on a lot of these phase four projects in that in spite of this show being number two three of us had it ranked at number four and one of us had it ranked at number one the show is of course one division again really interesting looking at the results and seeing that like all of us have three shows above it, but the three shows above it are quite different, apart from the fact that number one is a is a fairly uniform decision across the board from all of us. But yeah, I'm due to speak about this, but I'm going to throw it to Brian, first of all, on WandaVision as number two. So Brian, you had this number one. What is so good about WandaVision? Before I try and elucidate my less than overly positive thoughts. It was such a unique journey, man. Because like... It was the, you know, the return of the MCU and it's the first show, but I remember like a lot of my friends like who were like casual Marvel fans texted me like loving the show each and every week and the twists and the turns and stuff. Yeah, I just thought it was a great arc for Wanda and her journey and her character and this transition into being this evil witch that she can't almost control and that leads into Doctor Strange 2. Yeah, then, you know, Agatha, she was, I mean, Catherine Hahn was tremendous, even though I felt like there was still some confusion as to where her character came from or how she even get there. A lot of these Marvel shows do have a lot of big plot holes, but I feel like if you can overcome them with the emotion and the characters and the drama, and you fell for Wanda a lot because, I mean, the fact that, like, knowing that this vision that it is in the bubble is going to be, like, it's not going to work outside the bubble, and you know Wanda's going to have to let go of that, it kind of breaks your heart that Wanda can't 
get what she wants, even though she deserves a lot for help saving the world or whatever, the universe. And just the fact that we got some recurring characters back. Jimmy Woo, like, oh my God, tremendous, tremendous stuff. Him coming back, Cat Dennings coming back, like everything fit. Everything was tied together. I love the fact that, like, this is where, like, a lot of the crazy Marvel theories started coming out about Mephisto and, like, the bad guys Mephisto. And everyone was, like, overanalyzing the posters and the media material and looking for all these clues. And, like, how is it, you know, possible that they can replace Quicksilver and, like, with the other actor and blah, blah, blah and all these different things. And it was just, like, this big buzz. And I felt like this is the show out of all the shows that have come out so far with the biggest buzz and the most talk, and I just love the the ride and the journey and, like, the characters, and I thought the whole, like, doing the old retro shows thing was such a cool moment because I remember, like, in the next coming weeks, every time they would change the theme, I would be texting my friends at midnight being like, oh, my God, they're doing this. Oh, my God, they're doing Family Ties. And then my younger friends is like, oh, my God, they did Malcolm in the Middle, man. That was my show. So it kind of, like, tied things together generationally for some people. And, uh, like, I love the old classic sitcom look that they did and the fact that they got a live studio audience, just all those little things. And I, I love how, like, the art directors took a lot of time to, like, especially, like, to put specific things in, like, the set pieces to the fact that like some of the actors even like pick up on some of the easter eggs like like i think one of the wine bottles when they're in black and white in like episode one or two like it translates to house of m or something like that and that's just like a weird detail like easter egg that only like a hardcore marvel fan working on set would do something like that that the, even the actors and like the, the set people didn't even notice so I, I love little details like that i love the the commercials within the the tv and the craziness that was going on with that and the theories going on maybe it was just like the crazy theories that i love behind it all too like what's going on who's who what's what's this got to do with a beekeeper and had nothing to do with a beekeeper at all so yeah it was a fun journey and for that for that january i remember like that january was kind of like a slow january but i remember wandavision just like making me look forward to wednesday i think it was wednesdays at the time every wednesday or friday or whatever it was but i was looking forward to it every week more so than any of these marvel shows and i was just like stoked for each episode and yeah the final battle was like cliche but that's what I expected, like good versus evil, like straight up. So I got what I wanted. And like, I was so cool with the fact that like Wanda's doing this heel turn. And I know a lot of people are not comfortable with that. Or like this whole arc about is about her trying to be a better person. And then she goes with Doctor Strange 2 and becomes this villain. Well, the, it's a book of evil she's got. The book tra- like corrupts people. That's all you need to know. It's like, you know, we don't need to know so many questions about why does she, you know, why does she decide to do this or that? Like the book took over her mind. That's all you need to know. It's like, why does Reagan turn her head around to the exorcist? Because she's evil. She just does it. So that's that was a simple explanation for me. I know a lot of people were not happy about that transition but i was overall satisfied the agatha harkness stuff like i don't know if we need a whole show around her i think i would much rather have just a 45 minute special on the salem witch trials and her going throughout history until where she is at the at the beginning of wandavision i'd much rather have that but if they're doing a show i guess you know hopefully they learn their lessons which they probably won't but this that sounds more like a 45 minute special to me yeah no i mean i agree on most of it i just think there is a level of they lost the interest in doing an episodic TV show after a certain bit. And you could tell on the opening day when those first two episodes came out that there were some people who were like, what the fuck is this? Why is it in black and white? Why is it doing all these things? Why is Vision got gum stuck inside his body and stuff like that? Like, what what are they doing? There's no, there's nothing interesting here. I like the end end of the show with the the, the black and red, like, uh airplane and all the rest of it but like the rest of the show is just kind of weird and 
I'm on the flip side of it or I'm just like, no, like all of the sitcom stuff is so I'm not saying it's great. I think the biggest weakness of the show is that like the sitcom elements weren't as funny as they should be. But I appreciated the show in the early going when it was more episodic. And as it went along and started having to do more and more plot stuff, I was like, you're losing the specific uh, specificity of like what you're trying to do and what made this special in the early going and everyone on this show is so good and yes i i agree that like this show had more buzz than any marvel show since i do think there was a level of like disney plus is now out in all regions the uk people are finally able to watch something it's coming out weekly this is the first proper new content that feels like a water cooler moment that has happened in a year nothing that aired in 2020 after the pandemic really kind of hit off at all really and it all felt like just this weird mood had kind of like descended over everything but the more i think about wandavision the more i'm just disappointed in that they couldn't find a more interesting way based on the trauma based on the love of television to resolve the story and instead it had to be resolved through like she learned some runes and got to draw the runes in the sky in like a giant cgi battle and I do genuinely think this show is made better by Multiverse of Madness capping off her arc and Olsen being just so goddamn good, even if every interview she does, she is basically just like, what? I did? Uh, what's that? I don't watch any of the things that I'm in. I just come up and, and do the do the work. But yeah, like WandaVision, it, it's my number four. It's probably the one I'm most conflicted on. It's one that I've like gone down and up and sideways on. But at its heart, it's still... Elizabeth Olsen, it's still Paul Bettany, it's still all of these actors who I love, like Catherine Hahn is giving one of the best performances in the MCU, Randall Park and Kat Dennings are both like really good, everyone's charismatic, but like there's just something at the core of it that just lost my interest by the end of it, and it's not bad, it's our number two, so obviously we, we liked it more consistently than we liked some of the other stuff, but I think it's fairly clear that we've got a fairly unanimous number one which is three first place votes and then brian has this at number three but i've spoken enough today so i'm going to throw over to matt uh, <laughs> and then jerome to talk our number one marvel tv show loki yeah i i feel i'm not sure how the dice rolled this way that i'm the one doing this given you're the doctor who guy given you're the journey into mystery guy but i'll take it loki rules i think it was a clarity of vision so i am a little bit worried that taking kate heron away from it may damage season two but there is just a specificity of vision to it and from episode one to episode six it sticks to it and there's like no deviation whatsoever there is no like secret second thing going on like there is in a lot of these shows where there's like a two episode divergence it's just start to finish here are six crafted episodes of television and it nails what it's going for. It puts its trust in its, like, weirdly one of its most experienced performers at this point on what was supposed to be a <laughs> two-appearance villain in Loki for Tom Hiddleston to be, like, one of the most experienced MCU actors. He is leading the way with his experience, and he is helping guide Owen Wilson, who, like, there was a severe chance he was going to be, like, an actor who who is just sort of like, what are we doing here kind of thing, <laughs> just getting lost. And I think Hiddleston helped ground him and they became this really good double act Sophia de martino as the variant loki you know some people thought enchantress some people thought lady loki kind of both in one it turned out they had incredible chemistry you had the hunter you had ravana renslayer so many great actors and they were like let's make this an actor-led show and like let these people just have scenes and in every combination you put them together 
they fucking crushed it. Like anyone. And then we're gonna put Jonathan Majors in the last half hour and just let him like take over the show. Absolutely. And to to go for five episodes of like, yeah, you can put these people in any combination and you've got a hit on your hands. And then we're gonna shut the main two up for forty minutes and let Jonathan Majors monologue and fucking crush it. I've been desperately begging for finales of Marvel things to be convers and you know, it's kind of what I was getting at with with Multiverse of Madness, coincidentally the same writer. It ends in a conversation. I mean there is a brief scuffle between Loki and Sylvie. But, but the but the end set piece of that is episode five, like the big CGI set piece yeah. is, is all the stuff in the in the future desolate wasteland really. Yeah. yeah. But for like it to be here's my here is my monologue about the situation we're in. Now you two make a decision. Their thirty second fight means so much because of all the investment they've gone on together and like i was a bit dubious at how quickly they fall head over heels in love with each other but it works and like i cared more about which one of them got to win that brief scuffle than i care about 95 percent of marvel endings because i love them both i don't think either of them are wrong and uh it gets a season two i'm intrigued to see what that looks like there are a few castings starting to come out Jonathan Majors, like for anyone who wasn't familiar with his work before Loki, and like if they'd heard he's going to be like the main villain for this, you know, he's going to be Kang. I would hope any fears they had were put to rest because yeah, it's fucking incredible. And we'll see what he does working with Paul Rudd instead of those two incredible actors. Not saying Paul Rudd isn't a great actor, but it's a different kind of acting, especially in Ant Man. So just great, just made to be a television show put together as a television show and it worked and i think that that isn't something you can say about all of these shows like most of them don't feel like real tv i think hawkeye does it just isn't as well made as this yeah and it turns out the one that you try the hardest to be a tv show ends up being the best tv show yeah there's a ton of clarity of vision both in terms of the visuals and the writing and all that and i think that's why this is the clear number one i mean i think there, it is literally Loki and everything else. I don't think, like, my number two is Guardians of the Galaxy. All of, I mean, it doesn't even come close. WandaVision, Hawkeye, none of these shows come even close. And, again, if I were to Voltron, the two lists together, Loki would probably be in my top ten, if not close to the top five. I just think this show works on every level. There is a lot of characters talking. And I think some people say, "Man, that's not that's not my Marvel. That's where's where's all the CGI? Where's all the fighting? Where's all the lore? Lore has just become one of those words that just annoys the hell out of me." And there's a lot of lore in this show in some cases, but there's a lot of really great performances. I love the chemistry between Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson. If the whole run of the show had just been those two solving wacky time adventures, I think that would have been spectacular. Like I would have loved to have seen that version of the show as it is. I think we get a little bit of that, but then the, the, the things expand and I think the show just turns out really well. I, I don't think it's perfect. I think, I think like all Marvel things, it's too busy setting future things up. But when you have somebody as good as Jonathan Majors giving a half hour monologue, I think that redeems any uh, or some of the flaws that may be a part of the plot elements. But it is amazing to me that with how good this show was and how good Tom Hiddleston as Loki is, that Jonathan Majors just literally steals the show. That's literally what he does. And it's it's wild to me because... You know, this is a guy who he was in The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which is a really good movie. And now he's going to be one of the biggest movie stars. 
Avengers. And he not only is in Ant-Man, but he is also going to be in Creed 3 as well, which is something I'm also looking forward to. So you're going to be hearing and seeing a lot of Jonathan Majors over the next few years. And he is probably going to be the focal point of phases five and six. So we're probably going to see him a ton. This was a tremendous introduction. I guess it's not officially Kang, but what a great introduction of Jonathan Majors into the MCU. What a great way to keep Tom Hiddleston in the MCU and Owen Wilson, just a very, very solid casting choice. Yeah, good show. Glad's the number one. Obviously, Brian's number one got to be number two, so it's not like we we were so vastly out of step with everyone else. But yeah, like I think we're all in fair locks up on Loki. So that is our two lists. We've run about two hours, I think, in the raw recording, not counting. Oh, we're about to, yeah, we're about two hours. I told Ben this was gonna go three hours, and he uh, he was he wasn't sure, but I was like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna hit three hours or something. Well, we're gonna we're gonna blast through this because I'm only gonna do five questions. I've written I had written eleven, but I'm gonna cut some out. So I'm gonna go I'm gonna go basically in Matt, Jerome, Brian order for these questions, just because that is I, I I'll answer as well. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we're just gonna go. Question number one that I've got for everyone as we kind of like wrap up and kind of like come down from from the ranking that we've been doing. Matthew, favorite piece of casting for phase four? Not like favorite character, not like favorite project. Who is the best addition to the MCU as a cast member? I hate that you've come to me first because I'm I'm torn in multiple directions. I fucking love Hayley Steinfeld and everything she's done, basically. And, and I think, you know, that's a great pick. I really love Tatiana and She-Hulk, despite the... The thing for me is the projects haven't been good for most of Phase 4. I think they've done a really good job of bringing in characters I'm excited to see again and nailing the casting choices for them. So, like, I want to see She-Hulk in a better thing. I want to see Kate Bishop come back. You know, like, I'm taught... For me, it's a one-two, and it's between Florence Pugh and Iman Vellani. And it's like my heart against my head. I think Iman is such a wonderful little charisma ball, can be such a great ambassador to the franchise. But Florence Pugh is incredible, and like they got in at just the right time to lock her in. And like it sounds gross and predatory to be like lock in these young actors for ten years, but like she was so good. Like she is the the shining light of of Black Widow, and like yeah, she's great when she comes back in Hawkeye. And yeah, I want to see her. So I'm kind of bummed that she doesn't get to go straight to the Avengers. There's a reason why she's the lead of the Thunderbolts movie. Yeah, she gets to lead the Thunderbolts or be one of the big people but like i want to see her on an avengers team before all is said and done drug so in my in my view i look at Haley steinfeld and florence Pugh and jonathan majors those are three unbelievably great casting decisions but i think they already come in with they are some variation of a star so i am going to go with iman Vellani because I think she has a high ceiling. Uh, Matt, as a basketball fan, will really appreciate that phrase. I think she has a very high ceiling, and she is going to grow into her role and become a star because of this. That's why I think this is the best casting, especially in an area where I think Marvel needs to do a much better job of diversifying. Iman Vellani, for me, is the best casting choice. And Brian? Simu Lu, Shang-Chi. Like, I feel like for a role like that, you got to look the part, you got to work the part, you got to know the choreography and the fight choreography. And he was able to do all of that. Like, I felt like if you're trying to do, like, a modern-day Bruce Lee, you casted the right guy for it. He's got the look that all the ladies love. He's got the body. He's, you know, give him time. He can have that Thor jacked look, too. 
So I thought it was like for what they were trying to do for Shang-Chi, he was the perfect kind of guy to do it. A relative unknown, but goes into the role and kind of makes himself a star out of it. I thought it was just like great casting because he sold it well. Like he did a good job acting wise, but he had the physicality of the role to back it up. And I think a lot of these Marvel characters, you need to have that kind of physicality to it too as well. You got to look the part and he certainly looked the part and he did all the, like almost all the fight choreography himself, almost no stuntmen. It was like a classic throwback to those like, you know, Kung Fu flicks, but I think he did it well, man. And he stood out a lot for me most of, more so than a lot of the uh, castings in phase four. Cause it's, it's so like under the radar, like you're going into this movie, not a lot of new, not a lot of people knew him except for that comedy he, uh, show he was on. And then he kind of becomes a star out of it. So I thought that was like a star making performance. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone, Everyone's mentioned like all the names that I've kind of had floating around my head, like Haley Steinfeld, France Pugh, Iman are like my one, two, three of like actresses, Jonathan Majors, Tony Lung are like two incredible kind of like one is an investment in the future of an actor's career in the same way that kind of Florence Pugh is in that Jonathan Majors obviously he'd done roles but I feel like he was just on the crest of kind of like exploding after Last Black Man in San Francisco and obviously he's got Creed 3 going uh, going forward and Tony Lung is just one of the great actors mm-hmm. of his generation and is, a, is an immense get I'm gonna go with T-Nock okay. as, as my one I think that is it, it was an incredibly tough role for them to kind of like nail and they've done it and now we have a name more in the mcu who is exactly the kind of the right level of horny and cocky <laughs> and regal in a way that like i'm devastated that we did not get to see chadwick boseman and him face mm. off against each other i think that's probably like the biggest disappointment in what kind of forever is that those two would have been so good against each other and i think would have kind of like pushed each other to to higher heights that's the greatest what if i guess you could say right (laughs) absolutely my next question is so we've now got returning from prior marvel projects most of the cast of the spider-man movies hugh jackman patrick stewart you can resurrect matthew one actor from a prior marvel project not yet in the mcu who is that one actor i really struggled with this for as up and down as the as the Fox X Men movies can be, like real high highs, real low lows. There's just a murderous row of great actors there to work with. I thought one that like didn't really get enough ramp. I don't even think she was phenomenal, but like landing Anya Taylor Joy for magic could have been really cool. But I think, and I, that might be a weird pick, but as I said, I'm, I'm, there's just so many. But like for me, you got Stuart back one last time. Let Ian McKellen be Magneto one time as well, like just just to pair that off. They've given they've they've tipped their hat to Willem Dafoe and Alfred Molina from Spider Man. They've tipped their hat to Patrick Stewart. I would like to see that little hat tip to um, to Ian McKellen as Magneto one more time. You know, it's maybe not a sexy pick, but like it cannot be overstated what a huge coup it was to land Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen way back in 2000 for Xavier and Magneto. So I think, I don't even know if he'd want to do it, but just a one tight, similar to what they did with Xavier. Just give me like a a 10 minute (laughs) Magneto. Jerome? Uh, I think Brian and I are going to have the same answer. At least I hope we do. Wesley Snipes, Blade. Brian, do you agree? Kind? Well, no, I got to go with Ben Affleck, Daredevil. Oh my God, no. Hey, man, the Secret Wars are a crazy fucking time, man, where you can have two daredevils from two different universes fighting for their own universe. Give me that, man, because that, that, if I see fucking Ben Affleck in the daredevil costume again talking to the other modern daredevil, I'm, I'm going to just lose it. 
but I want that so bad because that's one of those things that's like no one would think of except me but maybe but for a secret wars movie that plays so well you know what i mean like if they were planning on bringing the original fantastic forecast back considered it for like doctor strange 2 go full with it man bring ben affleck back and be a, a an older daredevil just the way toby was as the older spider-man to the younger tom holland spider-man so i i think as much as we give a lot of credit to x-men and spider-man the first real marvel movie i don't count like punisher or captain america 1990 is blade I still think the opening sequence of the of the 1998 Blade is one of the best action action sequences that has ever been in a superhero movie, and I think you have to pay homage to the work that Wesley Snipes did. I know he can be a pain in the ass. I know he maybe wasn't the best person on Blade Trinity, but they need to find a space to put Wesley Snipes, and they need to res- put respect on his name for for what he did as Blade. Because without Blade, I, there, there there may not be an X Men, there may not be a Spider Man in terms of the movies. So for me, it's Wesley Snipes, and I think it's pretty obvious that that that's my answer. You're right about all of that, but they already found a place for him, and it's what we do in the shadows. Ah, <laughs> uh, what a what a great cameo! I remember I t- I, t- I DM brian i was like you need to watch what we do in the shadows that that specific one which uh, i was really happy to see him there but i just want him as blood. i know i know so my answer is i really want leah thompson back as beverly switzler sorry <laughs> from how the duck oh my god wow <laughs> no that is i thought brian said the craziest no 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 <laughs> sorry my real my real answer is i think we're all forgetting like of all the actors who have so perfectly embodied their character in their what the project that they are in i think what we really really need especially in light of kind of like what's been happening in phase four is finn jones needs to come back as iron fist <laughs> my boy speaking my life i can't imagine a scenario where anybody wants to work with him <laughs> nice guy i did a quiz where him and charlie cox came to like moderate a quiz in london it was a uh, just before defenders it was a it was a nice evening and he was very enthusiastic about all of it <laughs> Kristen Ritter as Jessica Jones would also, I, I think, be a top contender as well. She, I, I, I almost don't want to say her uh, just because I feel like that one's a, a lock at this point. I, yeah, I think her and Burnsal are 100% coming back. Yeah. Right. Question number three. No thoughts, just speak. One mutant joined the MCU. Who is it? We've obviously had two already with Namor and technically Kamala Khan, but like, yeah, one mutant. Let me tell you a little story about Phantom X. He has three brains. And at one point, they were all separated into three different people, and they all fucked each other. And I just don't see how there's any other answer. No, I, it's boring. I want to see the original five done in an X-Men movie. I want to see Cyclops, Jean Grey, Iceman, Beast, and Angel as a five, some working under Xavier, back to basics, just... Let's make these five fucking important. Like Cyclops has been done dirty like for fucking twenty years, and I think Feige. Hey, would- he dropped an F, but he's the only. He's the second <laughs> X Man to drop an, drop an F bomb. I'll have you know. The uh, best line in Dark Phoenix. How white of you, Matthew? I know. <laughs> Explicitly skipping no, over the like, diverse cast editions of. I'm those. not saying it needs to just be those five, but like, give me those five as the explicit. This is the X Men team, and these are all the kids. Like, I don't want to worship at the altar of Wolverine forever at the expense of everyone else. I want those five to be important, and I think Feige is a like old school X Men guy, and I would like to see it personally. Jerome. So I'm gonna pop Ben with uh, my reference here. Now that he is coming to the end of his. Tr- 
truly great friend, Magic Mike franchise, I want to see Channing Tatum as Gambit. We need to see it. It really needs to happen. We have, we have the awful Gambit in Wolverine Origins, but this is something that we've been spinning around for so long. Uh, what a what a career. I want to see CTH's Gambit. Like That's what I want to see, just because it feels like he's been dancing around this role for so long. I think he is a tremendous... I don't even know if he's underrated at this point, because I feel like people really love him, Magic Mike and 21 Jump Street, but that's what I want to see, man. I want to see Channing Tatum as Gambit. Good choice. Brian? Doesn't need to have to be a particular actor, but I'm going to go with Storm. You can cast someone young, someone old, but Storm just doesn't get the treatment she deserves like the x-men show treated her so much better and gave her so much more to do i felt than the movies did considering you had halle berry for three movies and like her speaking role is like what less than 20 minutes combined for all three movies i just feel like what a waste and like they just kept wasting her and wasting her and then when they brought the character back in the new trilogy and they still wasted her i'm just like come on man like i feel like the 90s show did her so well like it just treated her so much better even got that cameo in the spider-man episode that you know that was kind of out of nowhere that me and jerome talked about uh, a month ago but i just want to see her in a prominent role she should be like a leader like not just someone in the background and i, I just feel like storm has been kind of getting this like side treatment and like into the background role when she should be more i feel like she should be more of a leader of the x-men than even wolverine but that's just me and uh, i don't know if that's just because like I saw her like in her glory days in the show and compared her to the movies. I was just so disappointed, but there is like a good storm, not not movie, but like a good role for her to be in like a lead player in a Marvel movie somewhere out there. But I just want storm to just, you know, kick ass. Speaking of the animated series, I just had a really out there idea. And this is what happens when you've been recording a podcast for two and a half hours. What if we brought in Tim Robinson as Morph? <laughs> I mean, that would be so interesting. I don't know if it would be good, but it would be interesting. Tim Robinson could also do the worst X-Men in the world, which is a story in which there is an X-Men who is, his power is he will explode one day and die. Like that is his power is that just like he yes. will, he will, he will self combust at some point. <laughs> and just like the story of his life as an X-Man or like in the X school where like he is a mutant, but like he can't use his power. My real answer, though, is if you listened back in the day to Matt and I's Pitch Please podcast where we discussed the X-Men, I mentioned my favorite X character, which is not a joke. They are legitimately my favorite X character, despite the fact not being a mutant. I really want Dupe to show up at some point in the movies. Dupe is a little gray alien who speaks in a foreign, in like an alien language that you have to translate when you read the comics. But like he is the cameraman for X-Force slash Ecstatics who are like this reality TV version of the X-Men that go on missions and die in like horrific ways. And like, he's recording it to be like shown in like Mojo verse and on television and stuff like that. And eventually becomes the caretaker at the Xavier school where like Wolverine gives him like super secret missions to go off and do stuff. And there's a, a fantastic issue of Wolverine, the X-Men, which is just what has Duke been up to. And like, he's a spy. He's like delivering packages. He's like doing assassinations. I want Marvel to get weird, and X-Men is where Marvel can get weird. Mm. I mean, the other one is, like, technically, I guess, not a mutant, but Squirrel Girl is the other one that needs to happen at some point. Do that as, like, a a, like a, a thing similar to Miss Marvel, where it's just aimed at younger people. Do it in the vein of the Ryan North comic. But, yeah, just get me weird and get me, like, diverse age ranges of things that can be appealed to with different people. Next question. Pick one project from Phase 4. You can turn it into a movie, TV show, or special, which one you think it would work better as, essentially. Matthew? Yeah, I think Brian said it 
seemingly six days ago eternals should have been a 10 episode television show you got 10 characters you got 10 episodes give them each a focus you can even keep the same key plot but like you know make one of them the focal point like lost you know like that just to me made all the sense in the world because yeah like it's a lot to ask people to meet 10 people in two hours and um i thought there was it was a really interesting group of actors and and power sets and everything it just needed even more time to breathe and like yeah do icarus last because you're going to reveal he's the villain or whatever but yeah ms marvel turn it into a movie i think it would be so much better as like a don't even do two two and a half hours do like a one hour 45 minute teen drama teen comedy in new jersey and then if you want to do like a sequel in pakistan like do it there i just think it works out so so much better as a movie as opposed to a tv show yeah that's that that would be my pick Brian. So yeah, I'll go with the Eternals, like I mentioned earlier, because that's clearly like the, it was clearly the one that's obviously should have been a show. And they went on the complete opposite route with that. My backup pick would actually be what if, and I would just cut it in half, like make the episodes longer, give us more of a story in the episodes. Don't cut them short like you did with the other ones and give us more time to invest. Cut it in half. That way you save the storylines for more down the line or just don't do something like like Party Thor was not necessary. It was fun, but not necessary. So you can just eliminate that completely. The what if on T'Challa, the what if on like the Marvel zombies and like, you know, those those give time for. But other stuff is just kind of insequential. I mean, I've got so many options. Make Thor Love and Thunder into two movies. Make Falcon and the Winter Soldier into a movie and like, or even two movies if you want to do it for that one. Don't do What If. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have to go with Moon Knight into a, into a movie. And like do that properly and do it kind of like play with the DID and like set it in a in a mental institution, like try and differentiate it from Legion. I think Legion does a lot of the stuff that Moon Knight does, wanted to do and got to its pie first. And so you end up with this thing where like we're going to do the mummy, but like don't make another mummy movie because we did that five years ago with the Tom Cruise mummy movie and it was awful. So do something that like we haven't seen in these Marvel movies before. Use Oscar Isaac style how to do that and and get away with it away cool and then my final question is we're finally we finally have a director for fantastic four we don't have a cast yet but like what should the fantastic four movie be matt incredibly important i think this is the first family of marvel fantastic four and spider-man and then x-men comes along like x-men has a bit of an identity crisis for a while and then the book gets fixed but Spider-Man and Fantastic Four straight out of the gate are what Marvel has built on. And, you know, I think some people like that first Fox Fantastic Four, but, like, to me, it's two nothing movies and then a really, really fucking bad one. And, like, they went away in the comics for a while because politics and shit like that. But like, these should be some of the biggest fucking characters that exist. People should like Sue Storm more than, like, anyone out there. And you've got Namor now. Doom, to me, is the greatest villain in comics and should be treated with all the care that thanos was and and even more so so like i want it to be like this big fucking thing that they treat you know i want them to really take their time and make sure it's good but i also want it to just be fucking fun and campy and silly and there's talk of like you know you can make it uh, like they were doing stuff in the 60s you just didn't know about it and they've been off in space and all that and i don't really mind i just i want it to, <laughs> to really take the time and let it cook and be really good I'm probably not the best person to speak about this in terms of uh, because I don't have the attachment to Fantastic Four that Matt Waters and Kevin Ford, who I also do podcasts with, like Kevin Ford is the biggest Fantastic Four fan that I know. And I know that this would be incredibly important to him. And I know that he and Matt may at some point either discuss a Fantastic Four run or watch the movies, which Kevin has never done before. (laughs) 
So hurts, hurts him too much. <laughs> uh, hurts him too much. So it's it's hard for me to say like definitively what I would want. I just I think with Phase Five and Phase Six, I want movies that are focused on the stories that they're trying to tell and not trying to tell like ten stories and also set up what is going to happen. If there is a Fantastic Four movie, I want a fucking Fantastic Four movie. I don't want a backdoor pilot to three other Disney Plus shows. I don't want mutants to be mentioned or things like that. Like, give me a Fantastic Four movie that is focused on the first family of Marvel. If you're going to say they were in the 60s, then, like, make, like, do that. Make it an epic 40-year story, because unlike the Eternals, you only have to focus on four characters instead of ten. Brian? I want that 60s movie so bad, and I don't know if it's because The Incredibles was so good, but the idea of a Marvel movie in the 60s has just been, like, in my head for so long because of what we saw in, uh, I think it was Endgame, where we saw, like, Michael Douglas, like, in the 70s, and I was just like, God, if they could just go back a little more, the 60s and Marvel is, like, you know, almost like the birth of, like, the golden era for Marvel, right? Or maybe this, I don't know, golden silver age, whatever, but still that era was, like, when everything started blowing up in the comics. To do that, I think, man, because... I really want to see the 60s in the MC, like the MCU 60s, man. I want to see that time period and all these different things. And like, if the Fantastic Four were there, like, I want to see them being heroes, but then in the shadows kind of thing. Because we're not supposed to know they exist. I think that should be part of it. Because like, no one's mentioned the Fantastic Four up until this point, right? So let's make it seem like there's this legend from the past that people don't even think they were real, and all of a sudden they come back all these years later from space. Like that's that's a story to tell. Like it's almost like Lost in Space kind of thing going on a little star trek ish you know what i mean which is fine like I, I i love star trek movies and i love the original show so star trek it up a little bit you know what i mean and make it this cosmic journey that took them so long to get back i think there is a star trek show was it voyager where like it's the whole show they're just trying to get back from where they were so give me something like that where it's this over time you know what i mean and with in with the fantastic four like the aging process is totally different obviously so you can explain that easily and they're just going to be like we've been gone for 40 years but we still look good we still look young because we have powers so that that works for me but i just love this idea of them popping up at the end kind of like the way we got first avenger like i love the way the first avenger was put together and the way it comes back in, into the modern era at the end of it all give me that but in the 60s a fun cast that has a lot of chemistry to together and make science fun you know what i mean like make it make it feel like i'm on a journey of the unknown and just kind of explore a little bit and that's kind of what i want from the fantastic four i'm so worried about their director choice for this movie like going from john watts to to matt shackman i'm like neither of them are awful directors but neither of them are fantastic four quality directors i know it's hard for them to get like huge names but like this needed to be a brad bird this needed to be someone who has a command over tone and and all of this stuff like i need to know that the four actors you're going to get are four of the best actors of their generation i need to know that doom is going to be like a big fucking deal i need to know that you're going to pull out the stops and get a joaquin phoenix or or someone of that caliber to come play this character i mean obviously joaquin phoenix is like Feige's white whale they came so close with him for strange but like you need someone who is going to hang around and be able to like pin a pin a phase on or pin two phases on or whatever the fact they're doing secret rules without doing doom first apparently is really insulting to like that character who is the best marvel villain fantastic four needs to feel as matt said important it needs to feel like this is an event that we have got these characters these are the characters that kicked off 
everything that we know about superheroes. Yes, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, they all existed first, but superhero comic book storytelling does not exist without what Stanley and Jack Kirby did in Fantastic Four. This is where the Inhumans came from. This is where Black Panther came from. This is where Silver Surfer came from. This is where Namor got his resurrection. This is Galactus. This is so many characters and archetypes and things that are like the basis of the of all of Marvel Comics. We can do entire phases based around Nihilus, and that would be great. I want to see the giant bug army. I want to see Mole Man and, like, going underneath underneath and kind of, like, I want to different movies that have different vibes. Like, Fantastic Four is an impossible ask to do, but if you do this right, this could be a real crown jewel. Okay, Ben, I'm shocked at what I'm about to say, but here goes. I know that he, is, he has his issues storytelling-wise, but what if you bring in J.J. Abrams for one movie, no sequels, he doesn't have to finish anything. What if you say J.J. Abrams, because one of the things that he does really well... Is kick off franchises. Casting. He kicks off franchises, and he is a really good at casting. Yes. Would, the, think... would that be someone that you think would be really good in the director's chair? Because, again, I despise Rise of Skywalker, but that is probably the type of person that I think should be directing this movie. Yeah, I, I think I think the original Star Trek is one of the, the best movies of the 2000s. I think that, I, think, I, I do really like Force Awakens for its flaws in kind of like falling back on the Star Wars stuff. I do think he is the right kind of choice, but then you think... JJ did Mission Impossible 3 and Brad Bird did Mission Impossible 4 and which of those is a better movie ultimately like JJ is a good choice I think there are better more artistically sound choices who could shepherd it as a franchise I don't think he'd ever touch franchise stuff again I think Ryan Johnson would do a really good kind of like <laughs> Fantastic Four but I don't think he's ever going to touch wasn't there a wild rumor Spielberg was interested? Spielberg was like floated a while yeah. ago, or like they were approaching Spielberg to do it. And again, Spielberg is the right kind of caliber actor, but you're also kind of scared after seeing Ready Player One that like, <laughs> does he have this in him anymore? Even though Tintin was like less than a de- or a ten years ago at this point for, from Tintin, but Tintin's like great. I love Tintin. It's yeah. it's what the Uncharted movies should and have that, been. That's the kind of tone you want from it. Like, I I, I don't want to say by it should be a big deal. I don't want it to be like grim dark. Like, Fantastic Four is like full of heart and love and goofiness and space I want adventures. Herbie the Robot. I want Franklin <laughs> Richards being a little kind of fucking terror hanging out with the power pack and stuff like that. I want yeah. goofy aliens and Molochs and <laughs> all kinds of just all this shit going and on. And Namor just desperately trying to bang Sue Storm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's an untapped corner of the mcu kevin feige obviously knows it's important i'm just kind of shocked that like they've settled on a the executive of producer of welcome to chippendales is the director of fantastic four and i've watched the first two episodes which he directed and they are not visually impressive and i was like really this is the guy you bring in to direct fantastic four so yeah very much in agreement on that right that's it. That's all the questions I've got. We've been going three hours as a raw record, but there's about 20, 30 minutes on that that we need to cut off at some point. Thank you, Matt, for sitting in my kitchen. I really am looking at the clock because i got a train to catch, but it has been fun. I don't know if we can do something this size every year, but it is always enjoyable to cross over like this. And uh, I think more orderly than it's been before because <laughs> Ben was in charge instead of me or Jerome. But yeah. Thank you, Jerome. Thank you, Brian. Thank you very much, Ben. Fantastic work. One more prediction. Kang is going to kill Thor in Phase 5. I, I think a fairly solid prediction. I think Taika fucked up so bad that Hemsworth is like, I might be done. <laughs> like, 
Brian will confirm that I said this before all the stuff was coming out. Okay, we'll, well, see. we'll see. We'll see if he makes it out of Quantumania. It'll be a big thing for a character to die in their last solo movie, but we shall see. <laughs> but yeah, this has been crossover between Marvelous Journey and Superhero Pantheon. We probably won't do one of these until at least Phase 5, and I have to imagine at that point there's going to be so many of these goddamn things we might just need to do the phases rather than a big master list. Or like just movies, just TV as two episodes or something. <laughs> yeah, that's our sanity, but no, it's been fun. We really must go. So thank you everyone for attending this evening. Yeah. I had to sign off. Excelsior. Excelsior. <laughs> Bye everyone. <laughs> I hate Iron Man 3. So we're just going to ignore Venom and Morbius, right?